And now this is recording. And now we can talk about beer. Beer. Okay. Uh, welcome to the bonus episode. You already know who we are. Today we're going to talk about beer. Proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. Thank you, Benjamin Franklin. Uh, noted mm-hmm. slave owner, unfortunately. <laughs> Uh, but he said sorry, so, you know, it comes out in the wash, I guess. <laughs> was he actually- I thought he was one of the, like, only founding fathers who didn't. Nope, but, like, nope, nope, John Adams never did, though. But where's John Adams' goddamn statue? I asked you. <laughs> God. Oh, this is vile. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm drinking- Liam's just- Liam's just opened a Four loco. It's- yeah, oh, bud. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I, right. I I am on a tall boy of American Budweiser, uh, Here's which the thing. Hmm. I like Four Loco. I made the mistake of ordering the Four Loco hard seltzer with a hint of black cherry. Oh the no! Issue is not oh no, no! 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 I, no! No! I like Four Loco. Roz can attest to this. I am yeah. Liam's a big Four Loco <laughs> fan. Single-handedly keeping the the heir to the loco fortune in business. <laughs> <laughs> so there were there were four locos at yeah. one point. I did hear all, though that they all came came together to create a brand mm. that we all science, now know and love. <laughs> science has uh, discovered the possibility of a fifth loco. Earth, wind, air, and fire. Ages ago, the four locos lived in harmony. It's called four. <laughs> like. They're owned by a company called Fusion Products, because actually I did a lot of research on this a few years ago. Hmm. Uh, and they're also the people, I think, that owned Not Your Father's Root Beer. Huh. Except that if you go to Fusion Projects, uh, the people who make Four Loco, the, the Google scraper returns just another WordPress site. Wow. Okay. Honestly. And they, they make something called Basic Hard Seltzer, which makes me very, it's just called Basic. I love I love to consume products uh, designed and marketed by people who have a WordPress site. I love to do that. I, I trust them a lot more than I trust other people. Well, you trust them a lot more than you trust Budweiser, who have the yeah. like twenty trillion dollar a year marketing budget to exactly. make like fizzy piss water. Exactly. I, I trust- tell you one thing: I, I trust Fusion products a lot more than I trust Fission products. <laughs> so I, I don't want to products. put those in me. <laughs> well, you won't get much of a chance to <laughs> the, the, the Guyana IPA. Oh, oh my god! We'll get yeah. there. We will get to Portage City, baby. Oh god. It's beautiful. Nah. I, I love. I love my uh, the specific. You know the mineral. The mineral profile of water with cesium one thirty seven in it. You know? <laughs> Feel the taste explosion. <laughs> yeah. Man, so well, welcome to well. There's your problem. The podcast where I have to get up and pee every ten minutes because beer does that to me. Yeah, this is going to be unfortunate. This one will have a lot more bathroom breaks than mm-hmm. usual. I yeah. think. All right, because it is about beer, and today we're going to talk about how beer is made. We're going to talk about the history of beer up to the present day, and we're going to talk about what the fuck is a pastry stout. I don't. I, no, I, I, don't, I don't. I. I don't want any Mad Elf. Mad Elf is bad. Stop trying stout. to tell me this shit. It's, it's a yeah. strong Belgian. No, they're different, but they both represent bad things. Yeah. Well, I mean, bad. Mad Elf is bad just because they're just like ah, here we're going to toss a bunch of cherries and a bunch of Christmas spices in this fucking thing, and we, an otherwise stellar brewery in Hershey, Pennsylvania are just going to absolutely ruin your life one month out of the year. And every single yes. fucking person you know who knows your quote, into beer, 
is going to be like, have you tried Mad Elf? Have you tried Golden Monkey? Listen, I fucking love Victory, but just they, they, they need to stop making Golden Monkey, man. I had one yesterday and I just got through it. At least you have a brewery that's like good eleven months out of the year. Like the craft breweries up here, basically like the largest by far is Brewdog. Oh, which like operates its own pubs and shit. And like the the point of Brewdog is that it's a quote unquote punk brand. Um, so when they did their IPO, they the tagline that they Very used punk. was equity for punks. That's how yes. punk they are. And the beer tastes like oh shit. My God. It's dog shit beer. No, like, yeah, Brewdog is actually, like, not good. I've had a lot uh-huh. of Brewdog beers because it's like, uh, craft beer, Europe. Uh, yeah, I guess I have to drink this. Yeah, get a selection box of it, and it's terrible. They're not good beers. Yeah, they're just not that good. Anyway. This reminds me a lot of Canadian beers, all of which are bad, basically, except for the big boys. Ricketts like Molson. Great beer. Ricketts Red is a good beer. Everything, I like that beer a lot. Everything else made in Canada, dog shit. I suppose we should move this along at least a little bit, even though it's the bonus episode. We don't care how long it takes. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So, where does beer come from? God. Uh, yes. Yes. It's true. And God created the earth and created barley, yeah. right? Two varieties of barley. We got two row barley here. You can see it has two rows. And then six row barley here. You can see there's one two, three, and then three more rows behind there you can't see, right? Yep. Um, so beer is an alcoholic drink, which is usually made from barley. Wait, shit, there's barley. alcohol in this? Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, malted barley, hops, water, and yeast. So today's process, usually step one, you harvest the barley, which you see here. Um you know, two row is what we usually use for beer, except in the United States where you use six row because you can get a little more out of it. Just to be cheap and perverse. Well, yeah, because our brewing is highly industrialized to the point where we can use this garbage crap that everyone else can't. We'll get into that USA, in a bit. USA. All right. So, so you harvest the barley, right? And then. Uh, call back to the last episode. Our next job is to malt the barley, right? Uh, I remember that warehouse. It's almost like it was yeah. the first skyscraper or something. Oh. Yeah, exactly. I got a nicer picture of it because yours was oh, too depressing. <laughs> <laughs> this is not. This is a place where beer happens. It should be happy. Hmm. <laughs> so, all right. So you harvest the barley, right? And um. You what do you do is you soak it in water and you let the individual little barleys in there sprout, right? And right after that, what you do is you dump them on a big floor in what's called a maltings, right? And you let it dry out. That stops the uh, sprouting, right? Um, usually you apply heat to make this happen, and there's different ways you can apply the heat and different amounts of heat that alters the color. Right, so you might get like a darker or lighter malt depending on what you want out of the flavor profile, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have like a if you're making like a stout or something, you you not only dry this, you like roast it until it's black, right? Huh. But if it's a pilsner, you know you leave it pretty light, and we'll get into how these specific proportions work later as we talk about how beer technology developed. Um, then you go into step three, which is the mash. Ooh. All right. Yeah, exactly. It looks appetizing. 
Oh, yes. God. Mm. It's disgusting. It makes a horrible smell, too. But, yeah. <laughs> I used to homebrew. I mean, I still could homebrew. I just haven't done it in a while. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I never liked the smell of the mash. I thought it was pretty bad. Just, uh, it I, smells about out, as good as it looks. Yeah, put, put, putting out like a homebrew WTY IPA. Oh, it'd be fun. I mean, oh, it'd probably just, you know. Chestnut Street uh, Paleo, baby. Slash Chestnut oh, yeah, Street Runoff, depending on what day it is. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can really see the, the HF tank in the background. That <laughs> was back at the college apartment where we had a one closet you could stick the beer and let it ferment, and it would just come out to inexplicably high alcohol content. Um, oh, delightful. Good times. Um... Justin, I hope you never go to jail, but if you do, I feel like you'll do very well there. <laughs> all right, guys, all right, I, kids, we're going to learn about turtle wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so step three is the mash, right? Okay, so you grind, you grind that malt that you made in the previous step that splits the hulls uh, of, the, of, of the individual little barleys there that releases the sugars out, right? Mm -hmm. And you soak that malt at a specific temperature... For a specific series, uh, for a specific period of time, or more frequently, at several temperatures for several specific periods of time, and that converts the complex sugars in the malt into simpler and more fermentable sugars. Right? Yeah. You yes. make you make the beer dumber. Yeah, you make the beer you make it dumber. Um, so the yeast can work on it. They're single celled. They they don't have much of a brain in them. Right? You know. You have different enzymes that work at different temperatures, so you might like bring it to 104 degrees Fahrenheit, wait 20 minutes, then bring it up to like 122 degrees Fahrenheit, wait 20 minutes, then 153, wait 20 minutes, something like that, you know. Sometimes homebrewers can get away with leaving it at 153 for an hour, but, you know, it's, it's irritating and confusing. After that, you drain this barrel, that's called laudering, right? You separate the liquid from the grain. Uh, and that can be a pain in the ass because sometimes these block up the pipe. Right? Gross. Uh, you recirculate it through there to make sure all the sugar comes out. Um, that's drained into something called the lotter ton. Then you put regular water through there to rinse the rest of the sugar out. Uh, and that's also drained into the lotter ton. And that's called, the resulting liquid is called the wart. Yeah. Love to have a wart. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, rather than an A. Beautiful, beautiful names in beer making. Yeah. <laughs> Just this, this is a problem with like a, a thing that was developed by Anglo-Saxons and like Germans is that you end up with things like oh we call this a ton with a, like a T U N because that's like an old English name for a barrel. Or we call this yeah. a wart. It's like yes, yeah, cool. And they call they call the water uh, liquor. Huh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And chocolate making, they call one of the steps chocolate liqueur, and it's not. It's so goddamn disappointing. All right, so now you, now you boil the wort, right? You, you boil it for usually about an hour, right? Uh, it sanitizes the wort that makes sure that nothing infects it, and this is where the hops go in. That's this guy here. Um, you throw the hops at the beginning, that adds bitterness. You throw the hops at the end, that adds flavor and aroma, right? Mm. And you can um, have unhopped beers too, right? You can skip this and still make a beer out of it, right? 
Oh yeah, you can, but you shouldn't because it's stupid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, like I, I kind of come the other way on this, isn't it? Like I would rather have a weird unhopped beer than the kind of thing that a lot of craft breweries put out. Where like, this isn't a wine episode, but like once you notice that like in a lot of wines they use oak barrels and just like the taste of oak to disguise all of the fuck ups. The same time you realize that in cheap beer they'll just like cover shit with hops, and you'll just get like it's like eating hops. But you need a certain amount of hops in there because it's a preservative. That's the primary function of hops. Mm. Oh, that's a Coors Light. They they put hops in Coors Light. They put hops in everything. Everything's got hops. Well, they yeah, but they say no preservatives. Oh yeah, well when they say no preservatives, they're lying. There's two of them. There's alcohol and hops. <laughs> 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 that's like two of the main ingredients in beer is preservatives. <laughs> So yeah, at the end of the boil, uh, you 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 put the wort in a big like whirlpool doohickey, right? That separates the solids from the liquids. You run that through a heat exchanger, the liquid at least, uh, and that's fed into the fermenter. That's this guy here. Mm. Um, right. So you 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 feed the wort in a fermenter. The brewer then pitches the yeast, right? So yeast is a single-celled fungus. And what it does is it eats sugar and poops alcohol. <laughs> and we're very grateful to it. I feel that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so over the course of one or two weeks, the yeast ferments the wort into beer. Then it drowns to death in its own poop, thus ending fermentation. <laughs> oh, right? Those full elves, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really, really going the extra mile to try and make beer sound unappetizing. <laughs> So there's lots of factors that affect the final properties of the beer. There's different strains of yeast. There's different fermentation temperatures. This is how long you ferment it, right? So, you know, you have a warm fermentation that tends to produce like a sweeter, fruitier beer, which we call an ale. And a cold fermentation produces a drier beer, which we call a lager, right? Uh, different strains of yeast work differently at different temperatures. You know, there's all kinds of stuff that goes on here. It's complicated. Mm. Um, and you've got to have like a lot of working knowledge of like uh, you've got to be able to like pipe stuff into other stuff. You've got to be able to keep stuff airtight. You've got to be able to like yeah. regulate temperatures and pressures. Uh, yes, there's there's a lot of science that goes into this, which leads me to a question, which is how the fuck do you do this shit if you like don't know how to read? Oh, we're gonna get into that in a couple slides though. Mm. Uh, there, there's actually like a lot of a lot of ancient knowledge, which was lost and rediscovered. Oh. Um, but next step <laughs> is this being it. Yeah. We lost. We, <laughs> we lost the ancient knowledge of how to have the cut the mountain on the can turn blue when it's cold. <laughs> we will return. That we will return to civilization's glory. Yes. Yeah. yeah embrace tradition. <laughs> Step seven is conditioning, right? So you have a newly fermented beer usually isn't that good to drink. Sometimes it is, but that's like a couple of weird beers, right? Mm. Um, and conditioning prepares the beer for drinking. So a lot of times the beer just fermented, it's cloudy, it's got particles in it, you know, it looks pretty bad. Um, so there's, there's ways you condition it, like there's secondary fermentation where you take the beer off of the yeast that's accumulated in the bottom of the fermenter, right? Because a lot of yeast dies, it settles out to the bottom, um, and that can produce off flavors, so you bring it to a second tank and you let it go through secondary fermentation where the yeast that were smart enough to stay alive 
uh, eat all the residual sugars and then they die. Yeah, you're just breeding yeah. smarter yeast that way. That way yes. lies planet of the yeast. I prefer well, the, the What you're doing is mm. you're, you're preventing them from eating dead yeast. Because when yeast eat other yeast, mm. it produces bad flavors. Ah, I, I prefer the, the thing that gets you a lager, uh, where, where you lagern it, where you store it in like, just like let it age for a bit. Uh, yes. And lagering is a form of secondary fermentation, but it's, uh, it's cold, right? Mm -hmm. Lagering's always cold, which is why I put Decor's advertisement on here. It says cold lagered. No shit. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and a lager lager is just German for storing. Uh, like mm -hmm. you can just use it to mean like as a, a, like a camp or a store or a warehouse. Uh, and yeah. I, I think they used to use like uh, mine shafts for this because it's cold and it's dark. Uh, yeah, you can you can just stick a bunch of uh, barrels in there and you can just come get them in a while. Yeah, I mean you just shove stuff in a cave and forget about it. So you know, and mm -hmm. there's. Other stuff like you can barrel age beer if you want things to taste like oak and bourbon. Uh, you can cast condition it if you're a nerd and you like you like Try some to min max your beer. You want some delicious warm flat beer? Um, yeah, cast condition that shit. I love cast conditioned beer. Um, that's when you just rather than you know. Um, you know, taking it out and carbonating it later, you what you do is you sort of seal it in the cask before it's finished fermenting, and then it naturally carbonates, right? Um, yeah, you might have additional steps in a modern industrial brewery, like filtering. Uh, you might leave it in something called a bright tank for a while that lets everything settle out naturally. You, you, you know, there's bottling, canning, kegging from there on. And then you get on to step eight, which is you get drunk. That's right. Yes. And then you step nine podcast. Yes. yes. Well, sometimes step eight and step nine happen simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, how did we get here? <laughs> <laughs> the forbidden ancient knowledge you speak the of. The forbidden ancient knowledge we spoke of we should talk about, right? <laughs> so beer's been around for a very, very, very long time. There's evidence of beer or beer-like substances as far back as 5000 BC in Iran. And in China, there seems to have been some non-barley beers, which were brewed as far back as 7000 BC. Huh. Right? I really like the dudes like uh, Crazy Straw. Oh, yeah. Well, well you know, they didn't, have, hmm. they didn't have the technology to make regular straws back then. <laughs> I, I, I like the idea of having a, unfortunately, what I imagine is a slave just be like, ah, oh, your straw, sir, as you're sitting on a deeply uncomfortable chair drinking beer from a jug. That is... I, I that was the high life. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for nothing, Christianity. The, the, this was the best life you could aspire to, is like uh, an entirely like shaved bald guy holds up your beer straw while your wife just sits there with like a cone of waxy perfume melting down her hair. <laughs> so a lot of historians ask did beer or bread come first hmm. and i'm gonna say it was probably simultaneous because a lot of early beer rather than having malted barley right it was usually brewed from a half-baked coarse bread right mm, you have like leftover bread that you can't do anything with you kind of just leave it yeah you leave it there and it's like it turned it turns into beer over time right um, and then beer, 
you know, we, it's mentioned in early literature. It's in the Epic of Gilgamesh. Um, it was typically brewed by women for most of uh, antiquity. It was, it was brewing was women's work, right? Mm. Just, I, I love the idea that the Epic of Gilgamesh just has like uh, just has Gilgamesh doing like a couple of big cans of dark fruits, <laughs> just like crushing well, I, I, some fucking. I I believe it mentions specifically that Enkidu um, downed seven pitchers of beer. That fucking rules. <laughs> so so this is one of the only occupations where women could be you know independent. Uh, hmm. back in the day. But uh, a lot of early beer had a problem, which is that it sucked. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't Tastes very good. like fucked up bread smoothies. Tastes like heel. Sort of thick, just more like a gruel than a beer. Lots of solids in there. It went very bad. It went bad very quickly unless you brewed it to a very high alcohol content. Um, and brewers had no way of measuring alcohol content. Other than getting Enkidu to drink seven pitches of it and seeing how hard he falls down. I was about to say, yeah. Uh, they didn't have hops. Uh, if it was flavored at all, it was done using a mixture of fruits and herbs that is called Groot. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So, now, in China, beer died out pretty quickly, despite the fact they figured out how to do it. That was replaced with rice wine. But mm. in the West, beer stayed around, and that is because because we're, because we're dumb. Because we're just like we persist in doing the dumb thing. While in China, they're like, "Yeah, we can do this, but why would we want to?" So right, we're too busy in inventing uh, movable type nine hundred years ahead of you. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I just I just invent. I just took a sip of delightful rice wine and invented the mortar nine hundred years before anyone else will. Yeah, and it's like, nah, I'm trying to mash this bread into alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just this kind of bread crushing. Alright, fellas, let's see time to mash this bread. Damn, had to grind for this view, but it's just like with a millstone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, alright, so the ancient Egyptians managed to refine the process of brewing beer, right? Mm -hmm. So they, they managed to invent both malting barley and uh, mashing, sort of, as we know it today. Right. And a lot of evidence, at least if you believe brewers, says that they were actually making some pretty good beers. Hmm. Um, so you couldn't like serve it in a glass vessel or anything like we'd have now. You know, it was usually you had a big, dumb jar like this right here. Right. Got to drink and the whole drink, thing. And, because... and you drink out of it with a big straw. Usually yeah. it was like a communal thing. Mm -hmm. Everyone was drinking out of the same so beer. That's how you get coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. They probably developed herd immunity. No, there's alcohol in there. That kills the coronavirus, I assume. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So like and like the reason why we know that it's probably not bad is that we can like take yeast scrapings out of some of these pots and bowls. And you can get live yeast off of these because yeast is insanely resilient. And you can just make beer with this. Oh yeah, Doctor Shed has a whole. Yep. Yeah, there's the there's like that. But also, like the other thing is, we've learned something about their technique since then, right? Hmm. So I mentioned before how you need to hold the mash at certain temperatures in order to get the best beer, in order to make sure the enzymes convert uh, right temperatures, right? Mm -hmm. The ancient Egyptians figured this out. 
Aliens. Right? Aliens. Aliens. (laughs) So they use a method we would call, uh, what we would now call a decoction, right? Hmm. To get the right temperatures. And a decoction is when you have a certain amount of water at a known temperature and a certain amount of water at another known temperature, and you mix them in proportion in order to get the temperature you want, right? So in that case, it was like normal room temperature water and stuff that was boiling. You could mix them together. You get the mash at roughly the temperature you wanted. And, you know, once they figured out the sweet spot, you know, they just kept doing that over and over and over again, right? Because at the very least, you can get boiling water and you can get room temperature water. Yeah, and you can just do kind of like trial and error stuff. And you get like a consistent-ish product out of it. That's cool. Yeah, and this was all fermented. They didn't know what fermentation was or how it worked. Uh, they didn't really know what yeast was. <laughs> so it was uh, it was all fermented with wild yeast in the various ceramic containers they used. Hmm. You just, like, as far as they're concerned, you leave it there, and then, like, a guy with a bird head makes it into <laughs> delicious beer. Yes. <laughs> Now, the thing is, like, the Egyptians are very good at beer, but by the time of the Romans, uh, beer was sort of like the second-class drink, right? You know, it's Mm -hmm. relegated to provinces. It's a barbarian drink, right? Uh, Everyone drank wine, right? Yeah, because that's prestigious, and you you have to import it from Italy or Libya. Uh, Grapes are finicky and more expensive. Yeah, they're elitists like Riley, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So the other thing is, of course, wine kept better because it had more alcohol in it in general, right? Mm. And Romans, uh, Romans called beer cervezi, right? And that's from the Celtic word for beer, right? Huh. And, and they say we have no influence on yeah. Western civilization. But, but where else would you get a, a, like a deprecatory Roman word for piss water? <laughs> exactly. No, the re- because it derived from Celtic, that's why white people like to say cerveza so much. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually, the uh, empire of wine nerds, uh, the Roman Empire, fell, and we entered Go the on. Middle Ages, which means we need to talk about ale and the alt beer. <laughs> need to talk about shamans. The Germans. The Germans. Let's go to Germany. Oh my god. All right. Um, So, Germanic tribes, they're brewing beer before and after the Roman Empire. There's this old Nordic folk myth called the uh, Kalevala. Kalevala? I don't know how to pronounce it. It, Mm. Some some Finnish bullshit, right? Um, Which I understand was like mostly written down in the 1800s, so... You know, who knows how accurate it is. Um, it had like 200 verses on the creation of the world, but 400 verses on making beer. <laughs> well, like, the, creating the world is much simpler. You make, the, you make the, like, earth, you make the sea, you make the air, make some birds. Yeah. Easy. Beer, Easy. you've got to, like, regulate temperatures and shit. Fuck that. I had to actually think about that yeah. one, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, a lot of Germanic tribes had managed to... Um, adapt, you know, the process of mashing under Roman rule. Hmm. And, you know, that sort of produced decent beer. There were a couple of actual, like, Roman, like, industrialized breweries. 
out there like not too many but they existed i i love to crack open like a, a rome brow yes yeah, yeah. there's uh uh a peronus uh, <laughs> now with 50 percent less lead mm. the can was made of lead foil <laughs> <laughs> So around 736, uh, hops are first cultivated in uh, Hellertau, which is in Bavaria, but uh, there's no real mention of them being used in beer until 1079. What the hell do you use them for otherwise? You can't eat them. I mean... Um, pass. Yeah, I... Fuck, <laughs> what, what, what the fuck do you use a hop for that's not... I'm gonna find this out. Uh, that is orna ornamental? They look nice. I think they look nice. I used to grow them in my backyard before huh. they took my backyard from me. Yeah, yeah. before before we lost the ability to to grow. Uh, yeah, it, it genuinely does does not fucking say. Um, hmm. Fuck, man. By the 13th century in Germany, uh, hops start to displace Groot in the beer, right? Good, because they were taxing Groot. But they weren't taxing hops. But right? classic tax evasion shit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that rules. Fuck the government. <laughs> yeah, but like between this and like the Whiskey Rebellion, I'm just thinking about how much anti government activism has involved not wanting to pay tax on the thing that gets you drunk. Why should I have that? They say. And they say the government doesn't drive innovation. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So at this point, you know, 13th century, brewing's mostly a home affair. There's not a lot of large brewing operations, but that changed pretty quickly, right? Mm. Do you have monks brewing beer at this point? Because that's like the old version of craft beer is like a, a monastery will just start doing beer and it produces enough that it can sell the excess. Oh yeah, I mean monastery monasteries did all kinds of early like industrial uh stuff, right? Mm. You know, any anything from like ironworking to like, you know, making steel to brewing beer to like any of this crap. Tanning, you know, stuff like that. Nasty stuff like tanning. No one wants to deal with that. I guess the monks would. You know, there's large mon there's a couple large monastery breweries in the eleven hundreds and uh one thousands. They really get off the ground in the thirteen hundreds. Uh, a lot of nobles get in on the act, right? And since they aren't as rigorous as monks, they don't keep as good records. They decide to fuck around. Oh boy! And they make a lot of shitty beer. Did they find out? Yes, they did find mm -hmm. out. I, I love I love to drink Lord Eluan de Musk's hyperbrow. <laughs> it just kills me stone dead instantly. Yes. Not a lot of repeat customers, actually. That's a problem. Um, <laughs> and that sort of stuff led to the Reinheitsgebot, right? In 1516. Mm -hmm. It's the G German Beer Purity Law, right? Which said, beer can only be made with water, hops, and barley. Yep. Is, is Later the they first... added yeast. Mm. Is this the first food hygiene law that we know of? Uh, Basically, yeah. I, I mean, certainly the, the one of the last ones in effect. The Reinheitsgebot was still German law until like the 80s. 
Yeah, I mean, you still get beers that like will advertise that they are adherent to it. After all, uh, as they should. Yes, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a good law. It just yes. says don't piss in the beer. Um, yeah. D d don't put like fucking don't put any fruits in there. Don't like don't fuck around and like make a like oh there's Ed's chocolate like no fuck off. Don't put like a bunch of hot dogs in the beer. Yeah. No. You goddamn animals. <laughs> but the, the beer beer is constructed of four parts. Uh, these are they. Anything else is deeply haram. Uh, for, uh, the, I believe the German for haram is verboten. <laughs> <laughs> so, one of the things is, even after this was passed, uh, Bavaria still had a bunch of problems with shitty beer, right? But it seemed <clears throat> to be seasonal. So, brewing in the summer was outlawed altogether in Bavaria in 1553. No, no fun. No fun on your summer vacation. You, you, yeah, you can't. No, you have to take a vacation now. That's very German. <laughs> yeah, you can't brew. You, yeah. you, you have to go and play Brewing Simulator, <laughs> which exists on an abacus. <laughs> so this was this was a major split in northern German and southern German brewing culture, and we'll return to the Bavarians in a bit. But first. First, I needed to get another beer. I'll be right back. That's right. Yeah. So we're we're now we're we're mulling the the difference between my two types of comical German accent. It's a very dour North German, uh, who was you know we we stick to beer to the four ingredients. Uh, and this is a very South German, Bavarian, Austrian type of vibe. I I put the I I put the whimsy in the beer. I mean, I built the fairy tale castle since I bankrupted the kingdom of Bavaria. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, Man. yes, I. That's how I always, I always laugh at the uh, the different German automakers because I think they have such mm. a wackadoodle sense of humor. <laughs> Mercedes <laughs> just being like, "What if we put a 507 horsepower engine in a minivan? Who's going to stop us? Yeah. Who's going to tell me well, no?" Yeah, who who is going to drive up to Stuttgart and tell me not to do that? Um, although actually, like the weirdest corporate like company town in Germany is Wolfsburg, uh, the, oh, where yes. VW is. Uh, there's a, there's a fucking chill off of that place, man. If you drive into town in like any other brand of car than a VW, it's just like it feels like high noon. <laughs> Somebody's gonna key your car. It's just it's messed up. I, I like the idea because of course all cars are made by like whatever the same six companies now. The idea of driving mm -hmm. in there in in, 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 in like a, a Bugatti and having to explain desperately as they're pulling you out <laughs> Of your car. No, no, it's owned <laughs> by it's VW. German it's German now. I'm just talking <laughs> AA flag and shit like that. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, the 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 North German South German cultural divide is 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 not something that we're going to solve on a drunken podcast episode. But uh, I. I, I know which side my my wart is buttered on, right? And it's it it's I I don't very much enjoy the kind of the fairy tale castle beer, uh, and and the kind of uh, like Oktoberfest kitsch of that. Yeah. 
uh, and like, uh, all the ladies with the big boobies are the dreidels. They have to handle the, the, the try of, of 50 beers, which we will all drink together. And then we will go to our extremely well subsidized hospital for alcohol poisoning. Did no, we, did not get, a fan. Did we get to Oktoberfest already? Uh, well, I, I was talking about, I, I was doing my German accent. Oh, that's what it was. Yes, such as it was. All right. So, I am now pouring myself a beer, and then we shall continue. It's got a can check. What kind of beer? I have a Yards IPA. It's in a bottle mm. because I'm sophisticated. That's you, buddy. Yes. Don't work my way to this goddamn four loco. I yeah. This this this. Sorry. I have the unending Budweiser. I am in agony. Um, Again. This is nothing. I'm I, I am drinking nothing. Aren't they supposed uh, to? I, I, aren't they supposed to call it Bud over there? Uh, no, no. This is it's oh, it's the, still the Budweiser. I, 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 oh right, you're out from the under the boot of the European yes, Union. Finally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think I I don't think that like the Czech Budweiser was successful in in getting uh getting the American Budweiser to not call themselves Budweiser something, here. Something libel laws. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So the split in Northern German and Southern German brewing. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in Northern Germany, you know, they have cooler summers and they brewed beer year round, right? Yeah. If you build the timber framed houses. Uh, hey, timber frames. Yeah. And we form the Hanseatic League. Mm. Yes. Where, uh, where, where we have the, the three cities of trades. Um, and, and we export things, and we have a gigantic compound in London with its own legal system, um, and, and we create this parallel economy. Yes, all those things happened. Um, and also, because they have free trade, because they all have the Hanseatic League up there, rather than monasteries dominating the market, they had private brewers um, who you know could get some big operations going. Right. Yeah, you can you can form a society to do something, which is what a corporation ultimately is. You call this a Hansa, thus a league of Hansas is a Hanseatic league. It's also where Lufthansa comes from. It's a flight society. Oh, fuck off! No, seriously, that's not my argument, Alice. (laughs) (laughs) It's better than a Luftwaffe. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, true. Still insane to me that they still have one of those. By the way. Like they they don't have uh like they have a Bundeswehr right they have a they have a a Bundesmarine but they still just fucking have a Luftwaffe to me I I don't like that at all. What does Waffe mean? Weapon? Uh, j- j- yes, weapon. Uh, it oh. it would be like uh, honestly the probably the closest translation would just be air force right like it's it's an air force. Yeah, or like air weapon. This is our air mm-hmm. weapon. This is our water I'll weapon. I do like all this of them. Our... Like, uh, this is actually an air army. It's just, like, uh, you know, all right. <laughs> oh, yeah. like France, yeah. like an, uh, uh, yeah, the, Armée de l'Air. Yeah, the Army Air Corps. Yeah, I also love the Chinese right. just sticking on People's Liberation in front of everything. I love the People's Liberation Army Navy. You <laughs> yes. can't tell me that that's not a chain of surplus I love stores. To go to the People's Liberation Army Navy Army Navy game. 
Oh my god, I was about to make that joke. Oh, fuck <laughs> I just do you think that like a naval aviator in China is part of the People's Liberation Army Navy Air Force? I'm just imagining one guy tackling himself. <laughs> Good tackle so. out there. Bullshit. Throw a flag. No, not because he's, <laughs> he's gotta cover each timeline bill. He's gotta be his own hold me back coach. Go Army Navy. Beat Army <laughs> Navy. <laughs> so so there's a couple of uh material conditions here we should talk about, right? Okay. Yep. Why 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 brewers got privatized in Hanseatic cities pretty quick like, right? So when most people are brewing at home. So Hanseatic cities, like they all have pretty distinctive architecture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, timber frames, timber yeah, frames, timber pointy frames. roofs. Yeah. And you got like these nice narrow houses, you know, they got timber frames. This one down here, this is Bergen in Norway, which has some of the last old wooden ones. Uh, hey, I, I have a little tchotchke of this on my desk, actually. Um, oh, that's cute. Yeah. So, Tall houses on narrow lots, which are made of wood, um, and you know, lots of Hanseatic cities caught fire, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, occupational hazards. So eventually, what they did is they banned home brewing as well as baking. What the as fuck? well as basically cooking in general in your own home. No fun. No yeah. fun. Yeah. There, is, there is no fun to be had here in the Hanseatic League. You will not cook. No cooking in the city. In the barrier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to go to the cooking house. Go five miles out of town to this grill you've stashed yeah. into the black forest. <laughs> So, some, someone buys a hot plate and someone crashes into the apartment. Nine, 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 nine. I love, I, lo- I can't tell you. I cannot express how much I love the concept of like a Hanseatic League SWAT team. Just a bunch of dudes in like jerkins and like Morian helmets kicking a door in and like abseiling down. What they did is they relocated brewing and cooking operations to large commercial or large communal kitchens right mm-hmm. primitive right. accumulation baby yeah so these communal kitchens it's supposed to be like everyone you know in your neighborhood or in your you know in your group of houses or whatever you go cook there as opposed to cooking in your apartment right okay so this is the one thing anytime anyone who's like y- 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 you know when someone's like mentions on the twitter like all right communal kitchens and socialism sounds like a great idea no communal kitchens suck they're really bad because hmm. always like I don't know fucking Steve down the hall is like leaving all his dishes out and he's not going to do them and like he uses like you know some so, some of the extra like it, communal kitchens are bad everyone hates them because they you know, yeah, they even the with, Soviets realized this yeah you have to deal uh, with your neighbor's shitty cooking yeah exactly yeah. there's always going to be a guy who makes like who cooks fish in the morning uh, yeah, or yeah, something. Yen's, Yen's of uh, 34B is making lutefisk yes, again yeah I, I'm, I'm, I'm skipping a meal <laughs> yeah please, please this is my Carl do, do not touch um, yeah no like even even in the utopian visions of Soviet apartment blocks they very quickly switched into uh no, everybody has to have an individual kitchen per yep. unit because yes. otherwise everyone is going to murder each other. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so, 
People got sick of using these communal kitchens pretty quickly. But because there was like a practical purpose for not having everyone burn down their house every day, (laughs) rather than get rid of the commercial kitchens, a lot of them were turned into like cafeteria type operations. Mm. And, um, you know, they hired folks to cook and brew beer for them. And you accidentally invent the restaurant. Yes. Congratulations, and you Sort of invent the commercial brewery. Hmm. Yeah, the two the two go hand in hand. A lot of Hanseatic cities, you know, again, they traded freely with each other, but a lot of them still had protectionist laws about beer, right? They wouldn't mm. they wouldn't let imported beer in, so they could only export to one place, and that was the lawless hellscape that was <laughs> London. That's right, yeah. You just have this, like, fucking, literally, you have a Hanseatic compound, which, like, much like the city of London, is entirely independent. It's not part of England. It is, it is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Hanseatic League, uh, subject to, like, German laws. People speak German in it. It's very much on the same model as, like, colonial possessions in Asia, like, are on, uh, and you just like you export your shit that you want to sell, which in this case is beer. Yeah, so that's what they did. You know, they exported a lot of this beer to London for, you know, for to get some extra cash. And so mm-hmm. the English, even back then, they're a little bit particular about their ale, uh. right? <laughs> so this imported German uh, swill wasn't considered to them, at least to the folks who could write, to be worthy of the term ale. So instead, no. they called it beer. Right? Distinct distinct naming practices. I, I do like, very, like at this point, though, that England is still like enough of a backwater that these rich Germans who are like actually important in Europe are like, yeah, man, we can just fucking dump this shit on these idiots. Um, and inadvertently lay the foundations for a superpower like a few hundred years later. Look, uh, it turns out being the consumer of last resort is an advantageous position. Yeah, so it turns out. Um, USA. Yeah. USA. USA. <laughs> <laughs> So, real English ale had no adulterants such as hops. Mm-hmm. Well, we fucking we fucking light our piss water the way it is. Thank you. Beer was looked at, down upon as a crude and unhealthy drink. There's a man named Andrew Board. He wrote in 1557 that beer was only suitable for a Dutchman. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do genuinely love the 16th century in England because it was a period where we just decided that anything that was bad was Dutch, I, just in nature. Just like, I have had any, hmm. any sort of uh, compatriots, yes. whatever, uh, with, with, with the English. My brothers in arms, the English, together to hate the goddamn Dutch. <laughs> Yeah, we just like we we lose a few ships to like sea dogs, and we just like uh, and sea beggars, and we just decide everything that's bad is Dutch now. I I like that. That's basically how I live my life. I just I hate I I hate a bunch of stuff, obviously, but sometimes I'm just like ah, mm-hmm. what what Western European nation can I find to kick around here? Like surely, surely <laughs> this is the game's fault. <laughs> all right now the thing is the advantages of beer with hops 
over ale without hops were pretty quickly undeniable, right? Hops mm. prevented spoilage, which meant the beer lasted longer. Hops prevented bacteria formation, and that made it easier to brew a weaker and therefore cheaper beer, as opposed to, you know, brewing with enough alcohol to kill the bacteria that yeah. way. Right. I mean, bear in mind, most of this beer you're not drinking to get drunk. I mean, that may be a happy accident, but like for the most part, it's a thing that you're drinking like a soda now. Uh, you're drinking it because the water will kill you, um, and you want something that tastes nice. That was certainly the case in London. In a lot of smaller towns, you usually did actually have somewhat reliable access to clean water, clean-ish oh. water. Well, this is this is what I get for again, get time and again, my London-centric view. <laughs> you, you you could you you could actually not get cholera from the water in a lot of places that weren't London. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to become important in a few minutes. Um, mm. uh, beer with hops also tasted better, right? Your hop-free ales were cloyingly sweet, you know, because there's nothing yeah. there's nothing to balance out that maltiness, right? Embrace tradition, reject modernity, bring back the cloyingly sweet ale. So your English brewers really quickly took to beer, and it began to supplant ale by the 17th century. The terms slowly became synonymous, right? Just kind of interchangeable. Uh... Yeah, ale didn't really regain like a distinct appearance for a long time um or mm. a distinct like uh definition another thing was that beer could travel better than ale again because it lasted longer and suddenly beers from all over england became available in london right and one of the most mm. popular was called the burton pale ale right huh so from the um uh burton on trent huh? yes which is uh, not, a very nice little market town in Staffordshire, um, in, in, like, in like the Midlands. It uh, still has a couple big breweries there to this day. Mm -hmm. good, good, good water, apparently. Uh, yes. So fr from this, you get, uh, you get a good beer, and you can ship it the... God, that's what got to be a couple of hundred miles easily. Um, yeah, but it, at that point, you know, since it's got... It's, it's a relatively heavily hopped beer... Um, and it can be, you know, and that, that means you can, if you have to, if it takes a couple of weeks to ship it, it doesn't no, matter. Deal, yeah. As opposed to spoiling damn near instantly. Which I think is funny that that's what we've looped all the way around to, is these ultra-hopped beers mm. that are just like, well, if you don't basically drink it uh, from the fermentation tank, you're already too late. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, your hazy bullshit pale ale, which of course is what I had right before I had what I'm having right now. Um, but you know, we'll get to that. Um, now one of the things is that the Burton pale ale, they had very good water up there for making pale ales in London. They did not. Oh, really? Um, no. so they, I, I, I love my cholera <laughs> ale. Yes. As it turns out, when you piss and shit in the water, <laughs> sometimes bad things happen to you. Where else am I supposed to piss and shit? Out of a window. So, out of a window. If I shit, if I, if I shit, if I shit in the if I shit in the river, the water carries it away. It's convenient. Yes, it's true. Genius. London brewers couldn't compete with Burton, so they they um, Burton on Trent. So they invented a new kind of beer, hmm. and that was called the porter. 
I have had uh, a, a decent amount of London Porter in my time, and it sucks dick. It's terrible. Well, one of the things about uh, London Porter is that there is no consistent strain of London Porter that existed from back then to now. We don't actually know mm. exactly what it was like at the time, right? One of those lost arts. Yes. Uh, the, the kind of porter that you get now is uh, like dark and bitter and it tastes like burned food. Delicious. I'm already, I, I'm not craving a, one. <laughs> not, 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 not a fan. It, it, it tastes like eating old tires. I've had a couple of good porters in the United States, but like also we have a refined brewing culture over here. Mm. Um, I like the well, like, uh, the Port City mm. porter. Oh, That's that really good. good. It's also brewed to the. Uh, it's also brewed to a traditional strength. It's about seven point five percent ABV. There are some. There are some good ones. Uh, yeah, but like I, I will point. I will point out that like um, the the ribbon on that on on that bottle of London Porter says rich, rich dark, dark, and complex. complex. Yeah, uh, c- complex is one of those things that people use as like marketing when they don't want to say it tastes bad. Um, so like it, it it's a complex flavor. It's not it's not a bad flavor. It doesn't it doesn't taste like tires and like burned meat. It it's complex. Uh, and if you don't like it, you're a philistine. I used to pick up every once in a while a um an English porter um at one of the local beer stores I forget which I think it might have been local 44 called um it was called Old Engine Oil. Yes. I, mm. I love that beer. It was great. I loved it. <laughs> you and I have very different I, I like I like a light I like a light sweet beer and you apparently like a fucking mazout ass fuel oil. Yes, they're good. <laughs> it was a good beer. It was a good beer. I haven't had any since that one time Liam and I went to that bar in DC and they were selling this beer for like six dollars for like mm. a tiny pour. Yeah, that's a pity ass to get. Uh this is this this is un American. I do right remember here. back when Mad Max <laughs> I guess it was an imported beer, but you know Unbritish. When Mad Max yeah. R.I.P. was still open in West Philly, uh, there was one time where the uh, the taps oh the taps on the one side broke, like just that whole side, and so the poor bartender, I think it was like her second week on the job, was just like, "Oh, you can't have that." Uh, that was a duty stout. So she's like, "Oh yeah, I have a uh, Old Rasputin, um, which is like a nine nine point five percent stout," and she didn't know how to price it. So she kept pricing it at four dollars, and I drank. Yeah, I, yes, as you yes. would. I drank like eight of them, and I remember closing my <laughs> and closing, closing my tab, <laughs> and it and her and she knocked off a couple of them because she she felt so bad. And I was like, "Thank you for my twenty four dollar oh. tab. Here's like here's your fifty dollar tip. I could barely fucking walk." Yes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> here's all of the money in my wallet. Here's my bank card. <laughs> Liam and the bartender at Mad Max. <laughs> it's, your, it's your first TNG reference of the night. Um, all right. So the porter, right? Okay. This is uh, some complex history here, which is deeply intertwined with the Industrial Revolution, right? Mm. And this starts with how how did... English brewers brew before, typically, right? We talked about the mash before, and we talked about how you run the water through multiple times, right? 
Mm-hmm. Traditionally, English brewers brewed three beers per mash, right? So the wort they drew off the first, that was drawn off into one ton. That was called the first runnings. They made a strong beer out of that. They ran through some water a second time. That was the second runnings. That made a medium-strength beer. And then there was the third runnings. That made a weak beer, right? And the, uh, yeah, sometimes small beer. Small beer, yes. So, Which is mostly water, you, you like, but enough alcohol to, to kill all of the cholera in there. Yeah, it usually came out around 3-4%. Um, so someone in the late 17th or early 18th century had the bright idea to combine all those batches into one beer, right? And they called that mm. the entire Right, yeah, a, a dude called Harwood apparently in about 1730, and I get this from uh, the the letter of an extremely well named clerk called Obadiah Poundage. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things is this is not so certain as some historians think it is, at least according to the sources I looked at. Um, mm. Where it's like a lot of people seem to be extremely confident that this is what happened, but it may not have been what happened. Um, are you dousing the word of Obadiah Poundage, a man who sounds like a, an 18th century porn star? Oh my god. <laughs> but that's like mostly in terms of like nomenclature, I guess is it, it, how the name entire came about. We we don't know exactly, but that's the theory. The other the, the other theory is that there were like three kinds of beer on tap at every pub and um, mm. you know the entire was a way to merge them all together, but like the the yeah, just were, give me a third and a third and a third. There were a um a huge amount of there was a bunch of disagreement as to what those three kinds of beers were. So, mm. but the thing about brewing the entire from the first, second, and third runnings is that this is a cheap beer to brew, which could be sold for strong beer prices, right? And it could be brewed fairly quickly. Um, which meant it was ideal for scaling up production, right? Um, and it became very popular with London's working class very quickly, which is how the name Porter came to supplant entire, right? Well, mm. And you just have this this locally produced product that you can sell for still cheaper than like Burton uh, pale ale. Oh yeah, Burton becomes like the upper class product pretty quickly, but the Porter the Porter's where the money is, right? Mm. So, during the Enlightenment early Industrial Revolution, things start to get a little wacky, right? Oh, good. So, you know, monks had been perfecting beer brewing for over 600 years, but everything they had done was trial and error. In 1750 and 1760, actually, I think a little earlier than 1750, like 1725, um, Mm. came two radical inventions, right? Those are the thermometer... And the hydrometer. Hydrometer. Uh, you is, don't have to do guesswork anymore. Is this guy pictured here, right? Is that what the kids are calling it? So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this dipstick. Uh, yes. So, hydrometer's a neutrally buoyant stick, right? It's neutrally buoyant with water at this level, right here, where you can see there's a 1.0000, right? Um, and it floats at different levels relative to how dense the liquid it is floating in is, right? So that means you can reliably calculate the amount of sugars you extract from the mash 
and then the alcohol content of the finished beer. Mm-hmm. You can get a consistent product, you can start regulating it, all of that good shit that makes the modern world. Yes, exactly. So I, I can know that, like, if I start out with an original gravity, that's the gravity before fermentation, of 1.07, that would be right about here, and it ferments to, say, 1.010, that's up here, I have... I can't do the math offhand. I think that would be around five, six percent alcohol. Uh, actually, probably probably higher than that. Probably six to seven. But, but like, even even if you're guessing and even if you're wrong, that's still more information than you've ever had making beer ever before. Yes, and this information became vital in the cutthroat world of porter brewing, right? Because mm -hmm. the public's demand was insatiable and the Industrial Revolution would provide new and unthinkable ways to scale up production to unheard of heights. Right? Yeah, which and, and you start exporting porter, like you get Russian uh, porter, which you yeah. export to Russia because Russians like it. You get stout, which is just like a strong porter. Um, yes, like that's that's what a stout is. Is it 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 just means a strong porter? Yeah, because stout just meant strong. Yeah, which is bizarre. Which uh, considering what it became with Guinness, but we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, mm -hmm. Four point seven percent bullshit. So there were a couple of other innovations as well as the hydrometer and the thermometer, which let people brew at high. Uh, quantities, right? As well as high quality, high quantities. Uh, so number one was the invention of really big tanks. Yes. Tell me what the war. Yes. <laughs> Mechanized infantry. <laughs> Other kind of tank. <laughs> yeah. So this is actually a picture of a fermentation tank at the um, Maker's Mark Distillery. Hey. Um, but a large a large porter tank would be similar to this right so really big tanks were important because they allowed porter to be brewed reliably year round because the more volume you have in the tank the harder it is for the temperature of the beer to change right yeah, yeah it insulates right yeah the beer insulates itself cuz these were essentially built like really large barrels you can see here, uh, basically like barrel staves. Um, these are metal rods. Uh, in this case, I'm, I'm not sure how they were built. There's no pictures that I could find of old porter tanks, which is, again, why I used the Maker's Mark distillery. Um, but some of these... We're thinking this, but larger, like taller. Not just, yeah, taller, larger around. Um, some of them were 22 feet in diameter. Some of them held... 20,000 barrels or more of porter, right? Jesus. Yeah, they were big-ass things. I believe one brewer held a banquet for 200 people in one of their porter tanks. Yeah. Imagine the smell. I wonder if they had used it yet by that point, you know? Uh. <laughs> so this lets us scale up from, like, breweries that make a couple thousand barrels a year to breweries that make... 500, 600,000 barrels of beer a year, right? Mm. But there were some problems with really big tanks. Um, the big one being the London Beer Flood of 1814. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the way that this is going already. Yeah, yeah. so the, the London Beer Flood was when the Horseshoe Brewery, which was right near the modern Tottenham Court Road tube station, 
It had one of the largest porter tanks in existence. It started. Then it, didn't. <laughs> it started leaking, and leaking was apparently normal and tolerated. But this time mm -hmm. it leaked too much and it burst open and it flooded a residential neighborhood, killed eight people. It's fine. I'll yes. drink my way out. Well, that's what the press said. They said, you know, it was an Irish uh, working class neighborhood. And the press was like, well, you know, they all, you know, drank themselves to death trying to drink their way out of their. It's like real, real, real gross shit. I mean, <laughs> classic English shit. Yeah. So another innovation. In addition to really big tanks, and after the London beer flood, they actually switched back to smaller tanks. Because they're like, ah, oh, I don't want to lose that much plot product. I don't care. We flew too close to the sun. I don't care about the <laughs> Irish. I don't want to lose that much product. Um, <laughs> you don't want to lose that much product to the Irish. Oh, God. Another innovation was the invention of patent malt. I just realized there's a watermark here. Oh, uh, yeah. It says brew and grow, huh? Well, I got this from a uh, uh, online malt dealer, so uh, it's free well, advertising. Well, there's your malts. Yeah, exactly. Uh. All right, so thanks to the invention of the hydrometer, brewers could now measure what we call brew house efficiency, right? And that's the amount of sugar you extract from a given amount of malt, right? Hmm. So porter brewers had been using something called brown malt before which we don't know exactly how it was made or what it was. Um, this is entirely lost knowledge. Because nobody cared. Yeah, yeah exactly. nobody cared enough to write it down. Brown malt was the cheap stuff, right? While the Burton Pale Ale uh, brewers used pale malt, which was much more expensive, right? Hmm. So after the invention of the hydrometer, the porter brewers discovered to their shock that the cheap brown malt that they were using did not yield as much sugar per pound, pound, you know, British pound sterling, as mm. the pale malt brewers of Burton were getting. So they realized, oh, wow, we've been, this has been a false economy the whole time. Uh, we need to switch to pale malt. Mm -hmm. But pale malt couldn't brew a dark enough beer to disguise the disgusting flavor of London water. <laughs> <laughs> so what what uh and pale malt had only recently become possible because of the invention of coking coal right coking coal is coal that's been baked essentially which lets it you know really do a smokeless flame it's it's mostly used in steel production um but it it's also you know useful for if you don't want to impart a smoky flavor into the beer you're brewing, mm -hmm. right? And it lets you mm. control the flame and control the malting process. Um, so if you brewed with pale malt, <laughs> you couldn't disguise the flavor of disgusting <laughs> London water. You couldn't get the right flavors either. Um, you couldn't get the right color, of course. So the brewers tried a few things to start out with to make these beers cheaper, right? They started adulterating the beer with all kinds of stuff, right? So molasses, brown sugar, licorice. Okay, Ooh. whatever, right? Uh-huh. And they also tried ferrous sulfate, cocculus indicus, which is a kind of poisonous berry, sulfuric acid, I like all of these better than the molasses and the licorice. Oh, 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 oh. Opium. Yeah, you've made a pastry style. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> 
strychnine. <laughs> None of it really Man. worked that well. Um, well, I mean, no, no complaints, right? Oh, uh, yeah, you're probably not getting too many complaints from the strychnine mm. uh, folks, but probably you are from their families. Uh, <laughs> I mean, assuming they don't all live in the flop house. I've got them sore, baby. Cares. Mm. Mm. Do they not have workhouses? Um, <laughs> no, so none of this worked well, and it sort of reduced the public's opinion of Porter, which is going to be important in a bit. But a, a guy named Daniel Wheeler had an idea. Rather than using brown malt for the whole beer, what if you deeply roasted some of the malt to a very mm -hmm. dark color and then add it to the pale malt, right? So he came up with what was called patent malt, which is what you're seeing here. You can see it's a much darker color than the malt we've looked at earlier. Wheeler's patent malt came out in 1817, and you could use a very small amount of this in addition to pale malt. And that's like less than 3% of the mash bill, right? And you could come up with something which tasted the same as a regular porter in both taste huh. and color, right? So it's like fucking around with like sugar-free sodas now, where you just have like a 20-year period where it's absolute horseshit, and then you get like something that's kind of okay at the end of it. Yeah. And this is still how we brew beer today. Um, hmm. Almost every beer is brewed primarily with pale malt, and then there are additional malts you add, you know, just to alter the color and flavor, as opposed to using one kind of malt that, um, you know, does, uh, does the whole thing. And this was so quickly supplanted brown malt that we don't know what it is anymore. <laughs> Just, again, no, nobody cared enough to write any of this down or do any math about it. Yeah, we, we have no idea. We don't know what uh, a porter brown malt is. We don't know what a porter from the early 1800s looks like. We have no idea. <laughs> Just other than it may contain opium. So you might yes. have a nice, weird yeah. time. A lot of people theorize that a porter from the early 1800s was actually lighter in color than a modern porter. Because um, hmm. they were having a hard time. I mean, it would be relatively easy to make a dark black beer. They were trying to get a certain, I think it may have been more of a dark amber, maybe a red color, right? Ah. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. A different different beer than what we had now. The other thing, of course, is at this time, everyone's usually drinking out of a, a sort of pewter drinking vessel, right? As opposed to a mm -hmm. nice clear glass thing like we have today. And that was for reasons. Um, and those reasons will become important as we continue going, because I realize, oh, wow, we're less than halfway <laughs> through. How's everyone doing? <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay, but I am going to go and get a wow. second beer. Power moves only. I may also, I'll get some backup beers too. I'm just gonna keep drinking this goddamn Four Loco. So you have the best efficiency because you haven't had to get another beer. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm gonna have to eventually or die or vomit or shit myself or whatever. But <laughs> all right. So there's two muffins sitting in an oven, and one of them turns to the other one, and he says, "Jesus Christ, Frank, it's getting pretty hot in here, isn't it?" The other muffin turns to him and screams, Oh my god, a talking muffin! I believe I have told on this podcast before. Bazinga! <laughs> just going through just going through my drops. I, again, I don't have a lot of beer-related ones. I, I do have Stephen A. Smith talking about cum, oh, though. Oh, 
I, I've been coming. I'm going to continue to come. Skip's been coming. He's going to continue to come. And people just need to get over that. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, I always really liked what's the difference between a hippo and a zippo. Uh, what, what, what's the difference? One is really heavy and the other is a little lighter. I like that. Thank you. I. So there's another another innovation that the Victorians gave us, which continues mm. to plague Britain to this day. And, oh God! And okay, that is the Tide Pub. Ugh. Look at look at all this uh, humanity. Took me a second to remember that it was Shaun of the Dead and not just like what everything looks like with coronavirus now. <laughs> it's a normal day in Shropshire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, go, we'll go to the. It's got heavy doors, you know. Mm. Yeah. So 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 a pub. If if you're not familiar, a pub is is it's short for a public house. Yes. The idea was that like back when you just brewed beer at home, you could just open your home. Uh, and like sell the beer that you had, and people could just like come in and chill and drink the beer. Um, and pubs come in in two kinds. There's a tide house and there's a free house. Uh, the tide house that Justin is talking about is where the pub signs a contract with a brewery, or uh, these days more often like some multinational that owns a bunch of breweries, and that means that they only sell the beers from that one supplier. Yeah, and th this started out with the porter brewers in um, in London back in the early eighteen hundreds. You know, you're you know you're fabulously wealthy from brewing porter. The absurd progress of technology has rendered porter prices stagnant. How do you increase your market share without doing actual work? Right, because mm. doing work is bad. Uh, you shouldn't do that. Right. Yeah. So yeah, you start buying the pubs and you tell them to only serve your beer, or you lend to publicans. Publican is a person who runs a pub as i understand yes. Oft, yeah. often called often called a landlord on this basis because you would just like you would be this this sort of this tenant of a brewery yeah and you, you lend them money to start their pub on the condition they only serve your beer right mm -hmm. so by the early 1800s almost half of the pubs in london were tied and at this point beer consumption as a whole was actually shrinking in britain um, because people are getting into gin, which is like a whole, we'll get into the spirits episode, but like the, the gist of it is that gin is very cheap. Uh, once again, the perfidious Dutch rear their ugly head with their Geneva, uh, which they can just sell you the cheap booze. You get much drunker much more quickly, and it becomes this kind of like um, this sort of cultural discourse. Hogarth does these engravings, Gin Lane and Beer Street, where he contrasts the like uh, the the lassitude of getting drunk off of this perfidious Dutch spirit, where you like throw your baby down a flight of stairs because all they did was melodrama. Uh, and the like fat, happy, uh, like uh, yeoman drinking good English. The fact that it's German is now long since in the distance. Yeah. Uh, good English beer um, that makes you hale and hearty, as opposed to gin, which like turns you into one of these zombies we see here. 
Yeah, I was about to say, I could tell you, I, I'm mostly a beer drinker, and I am extremely fat, hale, and hearthy. So, you know, I, I, I think I'm it's not sure I've never tossed yeah. a baby down the stairs. That we know of. Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm, not, I'm not sure that drinking gin makes you, uh, like, rail thin, particularly ether, but the thing is that these that the people were drinking gin but like beer. Like, you could get a pint of gin. Oh, God. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, and, oh, and, so my pint of yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you you would just be drinking. You'd be drinking from like gin shops, which were also crucially, and here's your Marxist analysis, not tied to syndicates of production in the way that pubs were. Uh, and so this was also very dangerous because just anybody could open up a gin shop, and that made them disreputable. Um, you, but you like you were still using all the same weights and measures. You would still be drinking out of this these same pewter fucking pint cups, uh, just full of gin, uh, and getting fucking ripped to the tits. That is bad. But the thing is, once we had all these tied pubs, right, there's no way to increase your market share. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I just noticed all these row houses back here, mm -hmm. they look extremely filly. Like oh, nice, that's well. They, that's they that's that's nice Georgian porch. architecture for yeah, you. They got yeah. the nice porch out there. You know, you got two windows per row house. Anyway, mm -hmm. so that's they, that's not going to be a porch though. That's like a bay window. Oh, I thought it was a porch. Damn. Yeah, no, that'll 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 be like fully enclosed, uh, with like a window on each side. Ah, you fucking nerds. Yeah, porch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. How, how are you gonna How are you gonna sit out there and judge your neighbors? Come on. <laughs> oh, well, you you might have on these. You may have. I don't think these do, but you may have like a tiny strip of front garden. Hmm. Uh, it's it's not the same. All right. So if all the if most of the pubs are tied, how do you expand your market share as a porter brewer? Especially when people are drinking hmm. less porter, they're drinking more gin. Especially in London. Um, the answer was buy up your competition, tie their pubs to your brews, and shut down their brewery. Love a monopoly. Uh, yeah, so um, there's lots of consolidation that happens. Um, mm. And and this, uh, you know, so uh, e even as like the 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 market self cannibalizing, right? There's lots of unhealthy stuff going on in the porter market, and the tied house was a problem for a very very long time, and we'll talk about how. Some of the tied houses were liberated, but like they still exist. Yeah. Um, I mean, th th there were some legal changes to try to like make uh, like them be able to like have guest beers. Yeah, the, ge where the you guest beer is like mandatory now, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, you're not you're not fully tied to a, a single a single brewery, but uh, you do still have these these same relationships, kind of. And um, I finished out the notes on this slide by saying I've never been to a Weatherspoons. <laughs> Weatherspoons and O'Neills and things like this are like the logical, the logical end where, you, as well as a monopoly, you have a monopsody, which is where you have a single buyer rather than a single seller. Um, and that, that's like shutting down the whole supply chain start to finish because you just have chain pubs. Oh, yeah. And now instead of like an individual pub landlord who may be like effectively an employee of a brewery, what you now have is like um, uh, typically Weatherspoons too will like buy up uh, a lot of like properties that have been abandoned. Like uh, cinemas are a good one because nobody like goes to the cinema anymore. Mm. So they'll buy up all of these very architecturally interesting places, gut the inside and turn it into another pub um 
and you just kind of you own um you you now have like uh salaried employees and you have a separate supply chain as opposed to just having uh, like an individual free house or whatever. Do you know there's a whole like Irish pub company, multinational, <laughs> that just designs mm-hmm. Irish pubs? Literally just called the Irish pub. It's Irish just pub called the Irish pub, pub company, yeah. Well, this is this is why you can go to any yep. any city in the world. You can go to fucking Pyongyang, oh, I think, and you would just say, "Oh, it's, it's this is patio doors," and it's like a bicycle <laughs> up in the wall. No, aren't we whimsical? And it's like, no, no come on, off. dude. This is fuck this is off. so this uh, is so my favorite thing uh, as whatever Irish hmm. diaspora in the United States is the fact that like I was in Istanbul uh, two years ago, and there was a pub uh, mm-hmm. that we stumbled upon. Called U two Irish, it's a U two Irish pub. Uh, <laughs> at, le- at least, at least, to do the pandering enough to have this an O'Doolahan was the size of my living room. The guy spoke basically <sighs> no English, and he kept just playing mm-hmm. the wolf tones at increasingly loud and alarming rates. Like, <laughs> well, you, you found an yeah. unusually authentic Irish pub. He, then he was fantastic. And if you ever find yourself in Istanbul, hopefully you don't get shot. Highly recommend going to YouTube Istanbul Irish Pub, uh, where you can get drunk for <laughs> whatever the equivalent of like nine dollars was. Uh, it was fantastic, and I will die on the hill. Four point two yeah, stars on Google, place. by the way. Great fucking place. I hope they have a Twitter. I hope we all follow them on Twitter. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I will die on the hill of liking Irish bars in just very perplexing places. That's my oh, favorite. Oh man, it's fucking tiny. Fucking, yeah, it's, it is yeah, literally this, this the rolls. size of my living room. The they they didn't have a bathroom in the bar, so they had to share with like the neighbors upstairs. And when I say neighbors, I mean like <laughs> residences of this apartment building. That uh-huh. was magnificent. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, check out um, Shahid Mukhtar, uh, Bekar Street Number Twenty One in Taksim, <laughs> if you are curious. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, shout out to our Turkish fans who I assume had major issues with our, uh, with, uh, Joe Kasabian. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, we, we, um, we can expand the, like, extended commercial universe of Well There's Your Problem to Megatronics and the U2 Istanbul Irish These are the two endorsements we'll do. Can't wait to do a, to do a live read. Not for like purple or Casper or me undies, but let's just Megatronics. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if you want to buy a BB gun and a car stereo in the same place, <laughs> there isn't anywhere better to do that. And a samurai sword. Yeah. All right. So lots of consolidation in the brewing industry. The porter industry is sort of self cannibalizing. They're also adulterating their beer. This lowers their reputation, which leads to the eventual. Dominance of the pale ale industry. All right. Uh, Huge mistake. Stick to lager. It's a main. We haven't even gotten to lager yet, Alice. Oh, I know. Lager is lager is still developing on the continent. This is like all pig English dog shit ideas. We're literally not even halfway. So just buckle up, Alice. No, we are. We are more than halfway. As of this slide, we're now at seventeen to thirty-two. So, one of the problems of putting strychnine in beer and causing deadly beer floods is it lowers your reputation at brewery and the style of beer as a whole. So, mm-hmm. and with 
a better understanding of water chemistry in the 1800s, it was suddenly possible to brew a passable pale ale with disgusting London water. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, so the pale ale and the India pale ale developed almost simultaneously, right? Um, along mm. with what we now call the Imperial Russian Stout, as Alice mentioned earlier. Um, yeah. And then I'm a little bit confused as to the origin of the Baltic Porter. That doesn't make a lot of sense uh, to me. I think it's uh, I think it's the same thing as the uh, the Russian Stout, where you just like you export it to the Baltic. Well, the modern definition of a Baltic Porter involves fermenting a porter with a strong porter with lager yeast. That's the thing. But I don't know if that I don't I don't know how that developed if it's like something we retroactively applied or not I have no what idea. Um, yeah, I don't know. So these are all English beers, um, and apart from the pale ale, they were designed for export. So we're going to talk about colonialism. Oh, I have an answer. Baltic porter is like a case of trying to reverse engineer porter. Mm. So like we export stout and we export porter to Russia and all of these guys are in and around the Baltic Sea are like, huh, this is pretty good. I wonder if we could make this and sell it cheaper. And they kind of can, but like in the process of reverse engineering, that's what they add to it. Ah, that would make sense. Yeah, because they definitely would have very cold fermentation temperature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you, you end up with a bunch of Polish dudes being like, yes, is uh, is authentic uh, uh, English uh, porter. And it's like, yeah, yep, okay, cool. Yep. All right. So brewers in Burton-upon-Trent started brewing pale ales in the late 1700s, as we mentioned. A lot of them mm-hmm. were for shipment to London because it was a big market. Uh, Burton ales were characterized by Burton's water, which accentuated the hop flavor. They were also much more highly hopped than even some modern India pale ales, right? Um, they used a lot more hops. I don't know if the hops were strong back then is the other thing. Like, they probably had different different varieties. The only hop variety that survives from this era is a hop variety called Fuggles. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me? Fuggles, yes. It's real goddamn, right? Fuggles. At the last apartment, I grew them in my backyard. Yeah, Alice. Huh. Um, I actually, yeah, I still have some in the freezer, actually. Um, <laughs> we'll have to freeze my fuggles. Oh, what a yeah, I, I freeze the fuck out of my fuggles. Please stop. You know, and uh, I don't want to enjoy this. <laughs> <laughs> so, some of them were also brewed for export, right? So, a lot of dark beers were exported to Russia initially. That's how you get mm-hmm. your Imperial Russian Stout. Uh, but after Napoleon uh, blockaded the Baltic Sea, <laughs> continental then, system, yeah, baby, they were like, "All right, we got to ship beer to India." Yeah, fuck right? you, go the long mm. way. <laughs> another another fine hit in like the great like uh, compilation of the British empires. Ah, fuck it, we'll just give it to India, which is why we get Indian tea. Uh, it's like using it, using India as this kind of like dumping ground for various failed ideas. Think of it as a developmental testbed. Yeah, exactly. India, India was the British Empire's skunk yes. works. Consumer a last resort. USA, <laughs> USA, USA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just as we were as we were shipping all of this ale to India, we were just like, man, I hope this doesn't create a superpower in a couple of hundred yeah, years. A superpower that was it was it India and Pakistan or was it China and Pakistan? 
that like two weeks ago decided to just fight each other at Kashmir with a bunch of fucking sticks and shit. Like, listen, you uh, have uh, guns. Use the guns. Like, I'm not. I'm, I whatever the you know specific politics of of Kashmir aside. Like, you have a fucking gun. You have some rocket launchers and shit. I don't care if you start an avalanche. Which I imagine is why you're not you know going all John Wooey uh, up there. But like, even mm. so, man. Uh, like all, all of all of the narratives of like uh, fighting in Kashmir are basically just like, yeah, this dude just climbed yes. up like three thousand feet of rope and beat a guy to death with a climbing axe. Uh, I, I, you could not pay me enough to like join either the Indian or Pakistani hey, how would you army. You like to sweat your dick off at nineteen thousand feet. There's nothing here. It's a glacier. Yeah. <laughs> very, very nice water though. I bet they could make fantastic beer out of it. Sick, sick for your Instagram. I just hope Kerala brings us to fully animated five foot gauge Indian communism worldwide. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so why do they ship to India? Right, this seems a little further than Russia. Well, one of the things about shipping stuff to India is that most of the trading in India, the idea is you bring stuff back from India and you make a lot of money doing that. And then, like, going over, it's like, well, we may as well run an empty ship, we'll still run a profit, but if you want to stick some stuff on, sure. So it's very cheap to ship stuff, sh ship stuff to India. You know? Mm, it's like dead weight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like basically ballast. <laughs> so, we're like, alright, well, let's develop a pale ale for export to India. That's gonna have more hops, it's gonna have more alcohol. But... Mm -hmm. it doesn't go bad. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't go bad as quickly, at least. So, the thing is, these India Pale Ales, developed for export, they become very popular in the domestic market almost immediately. Um, it, it, I it, regret this uh, immediately. Uh, it, not a lot of India Pale Ale ever went to India. <laughs> English, English people cannot be trusted. Our taste buds are wrong. Um... That there is something wrong with us. Do not know. This is why every fucking craft brewery decides it needs an IPA. You need like five sells. IPAs to it do it right. Sells, baby. Yeah, they, 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 they taste good. I'm drinking one right now. The ruination. No, no, I don't. I don't like them. I, I, I like. I like a wheat beer sometimes. I like a lager. I, I, <laughs> why don't Why don't I just go and chew on one of those frozen hops then? If it, it like if that's the taste sensation yeah, that I want. Oh God, I, I well, I thought you were. I thought someone actually had marketed that marketed that as a product by now. Soda, basically. Like a oh yeah, like frozen, fro frozen, frozen on a obstacle. stick. I mean, I'm sure oh. someone would have that at that at this point. Like, like they would just have like a, a because they're assholes. Hop soda is disgusting. Absolutely gross. <laughs> <laughs> you need the alcohol to balance out the hops. That's why this flavor profile works. <laughs> Okay. Do, do, do not like a hop taste. Don't like yeah. it. Not racist, just don't like it. <laughs> Maybe you should have a higher alcohol IPA. Maybe you should cry about it. <laughs> mm. Go have some Double Dog. That's always a good idea. All, all we have is Brew Dog. Oh, God. All right. Come to America. I'll introduce you to some really good IPAs that will knock you on your yes. ass. <laughs> Fine. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> all right. So. Anyway, so these India Pale Ales become very popular domestically almost immediately. By the 1860s, as, uh, as brewers discovered that pale malt made more sense to brew with, as 
Porter fell out of favor because it was full of strychnine. England mm-hmm. transformed from a porter drinking society to a pale ale drinking society, right? Um, mm. The porter slowly dies out. Uh, very few porters survived, and those that did generally survived under different names. For example, yeah, it's very, it's yeah. very interesting. There's this class kind of thing where uh, a porter will survive only in like the region. So you can have like a brown ale, which is like popular in the north, or you can have a stout like Guinness, mm-hmm. which is you know Irish. Um, but like it, you go back to replicating Burton on Trent again because you have this like prestige pale ale. Yeah, and like Guinness's extra stout today. Mm-hmm. Started from Guinness's extra stout porter. Yeah, just shortened it because it was like, well, we can't talk about porter anymore. It might have strychnine in it. <laughs> <laughs> and again, the, like the 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 kind of the ales that were descended from porter, yeah. uh, like typically get called things like bitter. Um, and and the class connotations of that are very much. It's very much like a a working class drink. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's it's looked down upon. It's it's seen as provincial. It's seen as especially northern. Um, and so it like you have this dichotomy between between bitters and stouts and and pale ales until uh lager finally makes it over to England in like the nineties. Like the nineteen nineties. Was it really that late? <laughs> it really was that late. Like literally, it, it like when when Carling and Carlsberg and all of these other European lager makers started uh, selling in large volumes for the first time, it created this kind of like this moral panic about like lager lads and stuff. Well, I mean, Carling is Canadian. No, it's not. It's from hmm. this. It's yeah, Carling's Canadian. Haven't we been over this? And it's it's not, from this. That's just one of the. Okay. No, Carling is. It's no. It's it's from this this city called London. In Ontario. Oh, you're right, and I'm an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) That's how you get your big bag of cans with the lads. Yeah, you get your big bag of cans. It's it's all brewed, and I think it's brewed in Holland. Um, I'm pretty sure like, the Carling Brewery is actually in. Uh, I was going to use Carling. Carling is also brewed in South Africa, I think. But yeah, no, lager lager coming to Britain is a very very late thing. Actually, I didn't realize how long it took. Um, but we can discuss this further in a couple slides. All right, so. So, through the 1800s, brewers continue to experiment with ways to increase their brew house efficiency. How much sugar can you extract from the barley, right? And reduce their ingredient costs. So, in 1847, refined sugar was allowed in beer for the first time. I remember reading somewhere a while back, I don't recall where, so this is apocryphal, but that the mm. Guinness Brewery experimented with running you you do like first second third runnings through the wart right through through the mash yeah. guinness experimented with doing several more runnings afterward and then concentrating that wart by running it through the steam engines of the brewery ha <laughs> huh. doing doing some fucking uh, like distilling of your beer yeah but distilling it prior to fermentation uh, Strange. A- as I understand it, it did not work very well. <laughs> yeah, you don't say. I mean, it definitely concentrated the wart, but it was not good for the steam engines. <laughs> <laughs> so, in 1880, there was a movement by brewers uh, to liberate the mash tun from being merely barley. It's called the free mash tun movement. In 1880, 
they managed to pass the free mash to an act, right? That re- yeah, no, no, no more pressing rights issues in 1880 than mash tons. Yes. <laughs> and that removed taxes on beer ingredients and instead started to tax beer on its original gravity, right? The amount of sugar in the wort as indicated by the hydrometer, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now your beer could be made of anything, you know, barley, corn, sugar, molasses, stricken, whatever. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I get my delicious wheat beers again, so I'm happy. This is true, but a higher alcohol beer was taxed at a higher rate. Fuckers. Right? Hmm. Just point blank. Yeah. Typical it, nanny exactly. states. It also effectively banned home brewing because you had to go and pay taxes on... You, you had to have someone come around and assess your beer if you mm-hmm. brewed it at home. So you'd Sounds be taxed like on deal. it properly. Oh, I, I'm here. I'm I, I here. would simply yes. brew beer illegally. This led to a very gradual decline in the alcohol content of beers in Britain, which continued for more than a century. And of course, mm. other competition was on the horizon, which means we have to go back to Germany. Germany. <laughs> yes. We have to go back to Bavaria. It's a very nice place. You hang out in the Rat Skeller, you can go see the uh-huh. Kirk. There's that really highly ornamented church back there. It's all nice and pedestrianized. It's really nice. There's there's this cool transmission tower back here, um, which I've never been. To, I haven't been to that one. I've been to everything else here because I. But not the but not the Fernseh tour. No, I haven't done that. When I go back as mm. like in 2029. I, I, yes. No, one yeah. embarrassing thing is I've never been to Germany when I've been a fan of beer. What the fuck? You know what I, I went there several times before, when I, prior to being like 19. I've never been to Germany after that, except a few stints at Frankfurt Your Airport. favorite place in the world. Um, mm. Where you can't, you can't get a beer there. You cannot get a beer at Frankfurt Airport. Like it's really yes. This is this is not the fun area. This is the flying area only. This is the fluke area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you will not have beer. <laughs> you will get on the flug. <laughs> <laughs> my, actually, my, I I do enjoy that the German for airplane is just flugzeug. It's just like flying thing. That's what, what it is. Yeah, it's a, it's a flight thing. Although you can also use "zug" to mean train, so you could plausibly interpret it as flight train. I've never seen multiple of them linked together, so I don't believe yeah. that for a second. Autoschwer zug gut. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about southern Germany because we left off with them before. So. We talked about how the alt beer was uh, schlecht. I said I said car heavy train good. Unser wagen ist kaputt. All right. So we talked about how the alt beer was exported to uh, England and sort of formed the basis for English ale, right? Um, mm-hmm. And the alt beer is called that because it's the old beer. It's brewed in the old style. So let's talk about the new beer. Which is brewed in Bavaria, right? Neubier. Yes. So they banned brewing in summer in 1553. And over time, the wild yeast that Bavarian brewers used 
they collected it from the bottom of the barrel every time, right? Mm-hmm. And this became a distinct species from the top for venting east of the north, right? Yeah, it gets a weird accent. Yeah. Bigger tits. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> little yeast molecules wearing a dreidel. Yes. Um, did I say dreidel? Yeah. Dundle. Fuck. I don't know. I don't know, dude. I've finds a bite beer at the time. <laughs> or whatever. Leaders of beer, excuse me. Yeah. And this is how we got the locker, right? Um mm-hmm. so locker is warehouse in German, as Alice mentioned before. Um yep. because these I've, I've inadvertently preempted this whole slide because mm-hmm. lager is the thing I know the most about. Well, lager is very good beer, you know. So mm-hmm. so these beers fermented for a long time, they were stored for a long time. Um early Bavarian lagers, and they didn't know they were making lager at the time. They were very dark. They would we call it like a Bavarian dunkel right no. now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, a darker beer than what you usually associate with Bavaria right now. And breweries are getting larger, but sort of in the monastic tradition for a long time until 1833. So in 1833, Gabriel Seldmeyer, oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> Seldmeyer, whatever, of the Spaten Brewery, which you may have heard of, uh-huh. and Anton Dreher of the Dreher Brewery in Vienna, traveled to England. I heard yeah, that. Nice sound effect. Though. I heard that louder in the earphones than I did in real life. Oh, yeah, we, we, we have come to uh, to determine uh, what, what balance of piss you put in the water that you sell to this, these hogs, these shrine. Yeah, so they rode their Harleys up to, um, up to England, right? And um, <laughs> to study porter breweries, right? Because they heard these mm-hmm. indu- this industrialized production of beer in Britain, and um, they see enormous mechanized operations and the refined technical equipment. Of course, there's German, and they immediately are like, "Yeah, yeah, we must have this data." Um, yeah, we, we we do the technicians work, uh, uh, but we we include less of the piss. Um, because uh, we, 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 the people that we sell this to, they are not hogs like you. They will detect the taste of the piss. <laughs> we remove the piss. We keep this this steam and so on and and also weiter uh, and, and and things of that nature. Yes. All right. So they immediately set about adapting this for use in Bavaria, right? So your first. Like, sort of vaguely modern lager beer was introduced at the 1841 Munich Oktoberfest, right? And no, oh, I hate Oktoberfest so much, man. This was something that you would vaguely consider similar to a modern Oktoberfest beer or a, mm. or a Vienna lager, right? Very similar. Now, one of the things is the next year, some folks got wind of this over in the Bohemian city of Pilsen. Oh. Mm-hmm. And they managed to produce what we now call the Pilsner, because Pilsen has exceptionally good water, right? Yep. So also got some nice yeah. caves that you can lager stuff in. Yeah. So they get this operation going and it scares the pants off the Bavarian brewers, right? Because <laughs> this is the first non-German beer that has any kind of penetration into the German Whoa. market, because it's such a good fucking beer. Mm-hmm. Really good beer. 
Like, you know, that's <laughs> nice. The Auslander hope this have figured out how to make some beers that doesn't taste like piss. Because <laughs> your Pilsner has it's very highly it's, it, it's it's you know, your nice light Pilsner beer, as we think of it today. Yep. Your Pilsner Urquil basically unchanged since um back in the day. Um very highly hopped. It's got a lot of Saz hops. Um and it is Saz is the German word for a Czech location. Oh, um, well, I mean, so so is Pilsen, which is now oh, Pilsen, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, which is in Luni, the Luni region. I don't know anything about the Czech Republic. It's, it, it, it is named after the Czech city of Zatek. Right. Just just doing some pro like Sudeten kind of thing of being I like no that's wrong. fuck off. <laughs> it should all be part no, of the but... Soviet Union. The Soviet <laughs> Soviet Union should still be around. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Bohemian Soviet Socialist Republic. Thank you. Yes. So the Pilsner is a very a, a beer is very light in color. It's very highly mm-hmm. hopped. Uh, Pilsners yep. are very bitter. Um, they're brewed with. The impossibly pure water you get in that region, and they're cheap enough to brew at scale that you know these Bavarian brewers are like, "Oh, this is going to be a problem, guys." <laughs> <laughs> and it made serious inroads into the German beer market. You know, it was it was like, "Oh shit, we need to brew something which is at least as good as this." Um, and Bohemian Pilsner could be brewed year-round because they had access to better caves, and also it was legal for them to do so, which the Bavarian brewers could not do. This is where I digress for a second. We need to briefly <clears throat> talk about Belgium. Oh, no. No, we'll I don't want it. to. End it now. Yeah, yeah, so uh, <laughs> Belgium, right? The idea is, like, in Belgium and France, um, what you do is they left the beer out in barrels. Well, not Gross. not just in not, they left the beer out in gutters outside of the brew house, yeah. Gross. Right? and then a bird shat yeah. in it, and it's and and then it would start fermenting. It. Yeah, you know, right? Yeah, exactly. And this leads to incredibly <laughs> complex flavor profiles and stuff like that, and they're very popular right now. But yeah, you know that that's what happened in Belgium. Anyway, so I never finished. I never finished the actual end of the. Munichel slide, did I? Um, eventually, the, um, the Germans invented the uh, Munichels, which was able to compete with the Bohemian Pilsner. Um, but even before they did that, like a lot of Germans started immigrating to America, right? Hell, by the way, just means pale. Yes, it doesn't like to to, to say that hell is beer. Uh, it, it's 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 just a pale ale. No, it's a pale beer. Uh, oh, beer is me, yes. from ale. I thought you were English, Alice. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, at, le- at least we can agree that whatever we're calling it, it doesn't have pigeon in it. Yes. Doing better than the Belgians all the time. That's all I can hope for. <sighs> That's right. So, meanwhile in America, everyone was drunk on whiskey literally all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned this in one of the Franklin episodes. Uh, in in colonial America, there's not a lot of commercial scale brewing. There's certainly home brewing. Um, you had a very few early commercial breweries. One was the Eagle Brewery, that was started in 1829, which we now know as Yingling. They start Whoa. by brewing something called the Old Chesterfield <laughs> Ale, um, and a porter yes. actually. The Yingling porter you can buy at any beer distributor today. 
probably has the most contiguous legacy of any porter on the market right now, even more so than any London porter. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Because all of all of those just like converted over to IPAs. Yeah. So or stouts. And you could get the so Yingling the, uh, and Hershey Porter, which tastes like nutsack. <laughs> now Yingling's been doing like a really bad job as trying you to, don't need to do this. react you don't to need, its... exactly. You don't need to do this, man. You're Yingling. Yeah, it's it's retroactive definition as a craft brewery. Like they're not doing well with it. I mean, if they had just kept the uh, Yingling Bach, the Bach you know, that would have been good. And that was a good beer. The, flight, the Bach was a good beer. Light by Yingling. Uh, even though they still have Yingling Light, well, Light is their whatever goddamn 4.2% ABV, 95 calories, tastes like nothing. The advantage being you can drink 9 million of them. There's Yingling Light and Yingling Light Lager. They have these fucking people make like nine beers and three of them are the same light beer. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, they're not done. The IPL was also very bad, I if I recall correctly. It wasn't great, but like. Yingling Premium is actually my favorite mm. just because I don't even think Yingling knows they make it sometimes. <laughs> but like, the, the, the point is that you have all of these fucking Germans come into America and like, they make it good by making the same beer that they made in Germany or in Bohemia. Uh, like, but you also uh, have better uh, communication mm. back and forth, is the other thing. And also you're in America, mm. it's even more lawless than London. The cart. Yeah. So you just put whatever in that. You know, this is when our familiar uh names show up. So Frederick Edward John Miller forms Miller Brewing in Milwaukee, eighteen fifty five. You have Eberheide Anheuser, who was a soap manufacturer. He buys a brewery in eighteen sixty, and with his son in law, Adolphus Bush, forms Anheuser Bush. Sat mm -hmm. in Milwaukee. Making making the kind of beer that they make wow. in Budweiss, which is now Budovice, uh, which is uh, very much like a Pilsner. It's very nice, mm -hmm. uh, and th this this is the degenerated version of uh, like a Bohemian Lager is what I'm currently drinking, and These it's quite the, nice. The big boy. I forget the wasn't uh, Anheuser Busch the the folks that started <gasps> using refrigeration rail cars before anybody else did too. I'm not I sure. That's plausible. Uh, because that, I believe, is why it, it got so big, was because they had they had beaten sort of everybody else to the punch. And there's also, you know, we could talk about steam beer if you want, too. Uh, which was mm. to make lager without any refrigeration. Uh, Anchor kept making it. I think they still might be the only people that make it. Um, but that was back in the, after the San Francisco Gold Rush, 1896. So you're starting to get too hmm. worth talking about. You're starting to get um, your own American, specifically American styles. Also, uh, holy shit! One of the the Maytag people, Maytag Dairy Farms people who make the cheese, uh, was the guy who bailed out Anchor in the '60s. There you go. Hmm. Sorry, everybody. I mean, you can also like. I, I will point out that like as part of this like uh, accumulation of capital. You then like get a few like decades later, people like uh, August Bush the Fourth, who um, it has an entire section on his Wikipedia page called "Legal Troubles," yeah. uh, and like I, I don't know, women keep turning up dead around him. It's weird. 
there's, there's a section entitled Helicopter oh, Incident. Oh, the big the Maytag folks were in fact the washing machine people. So the fact that you can enjoy Anchor uh, <laughs> Anchor Steam beer is because of the Maytag people. I love that. Don't we have a hmm. Maytag washer? No, dude. You fucking think our landlord of all people balled out and got us the good one? <laughs> <laughs> donate, donate to the Patreon. I would expect he pro- he probably would because he doesn't want to replace them. Maytag washers are good. They're like the last. Patreon. They have like the last good like appliances out there. I don't know. I'll check after the episode. bombs. The family still actually brews the shit. Yeah. Mm. So Adolf Coors forms Coors Brewing, eighteen seventy three, right? And for mm. a long time, there's. Huge number of breweries in every city in America, right? They're all brewing German-derived pale lagers. But right? before we before we go further, it's worth noting that Native Americans brewed something akin to beer prior to Europeans getting here, which was corn, burnt mm. sap, and water. Uh, and the first commercial brewery huh. in the United States was built by the Dutch, unfortunately, uh, in the 1630s. Uh, so. I assume they only brewed beer suitable for a mm-hmm. Dutchman. So I assume that right before packaging, <laughs> someone both piss and shit in it, and they and they dumped they dumped off their black-faced tar. They shoved, they shoved a pigeon. Tastes in like there. shoe polish. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So it was mostly German-derived tradition, though. There were also a few breweries that brewed some beers in the English tradition. But yeah, those didn't last. Some of them did. Like you can still get a Ballantine IPA to these to oh. this day. With the largest operations started seeking greater efficiency in their operations, right? That's how we switched to six row barley instead of two row barley, right? Mm-hmm. As we mentioned at the start of the episode. And we start adding up to 30% corn to the mash to balance out the excessive protein in the six row barley. So you have too much protein in the beer, it starts to get cloudy, right? So you got to balance that and out. And each of these little decisions takes American beers uh, closer and closer to sex in a canoe. Oh, God. It gets worse, though. But I'm going to use the restroom first, then we'll move on. So I was reading before we started recording, I was reading the, um, uh, the like, scroll off of this Budweiser can. Uh... Which which says we know of no brand produced by any other brewer which costs so much to brew and age, um, and Justin kind of went off on this on the basis that it's it is true that Budweiser is tremendously expensive to make. Uh, it's just that they use a, a, like all of that uh, that money to make sure that it tastes terrible. Which it is actually nothing. it's weird because I like what are the what are the arguments there? Because people are just like yeah you know American beer blah 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 blah. It, it's, it's funny because hmm. to get, you know, when you're talking about the batch size that they're making, uh, you have to, that, oh, that, yeah. is a, that truly is an incredible amount of work to get. I'm going to look up some more beer, some more beer fail sons, by the way, because I, hmm. I'm just thinking about the like the all cause the, fail son who ran for governor of Colorado. Millers are at, yeah. Uh, I forget yeah. the, the whatever the most prominent course. Yeah, a peak course. Peak course is a gigantic piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, it, I assume the Molson yeah, families uh, are also horrific jackasses. Uh, probably yes. Um, 
Yeah, uh, 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 Pete Kors lost to, to Ken Salazar yeah. in 2004, but um, it's just like still still funneling money to uh, <laughs> Jeb Bush oh, wow. at one point. Um, just just a couple of cool guys. Um, no, no helicopter incident on this Wikipedia page, though. Just yeah, it did get a well, DUI yeah. though, Not but like well, we, we, yeah. We talked about um, the episode we just recorded how like DUI was a way of life for a long well, time. So you know. Oh yeah. I did throw a couple of images on here, uh, you know, sort of pre-prohibition breweries. Although I'm not actually sure if this one is pre-prohibition. Horseshoe Carve Porter in Altoona, Pennsylvania. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of a lot of good times playing uh, playing train simulation and getting drunk off my ass. Mm-hmm. You got your old Georgetown. That's Christian Hurick Brewing Company in Washington D.C. Um, which I... too many fucking Germans. Mm. Yeah, I believe there is a um, live D.C. Brow. Yeah. Revived one of their beers, but it didn't last oh, too yeah. long. Yeah, because you were super excited, and then they killed it. Yeah, I, I was really excited. I was like, "Oh <laughs> shit, this is going to be like one of these old-fashioned macro brews that existed prior to prohibition." Nope, not going to happen. Mm. Uh, yeah, Roz, it was old school. Uh, Altoona Brewery was open before the before prohibition, and I actually made it to 1974. Jesus! Wow. So they 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 were taken out by the doldrums. Hmm. Wow. The kind of shit that you drink yourself to death with uh, after being laid off from the railroad. Oh, good. Well, you know, you could have moved to Hollidaysburg. It's not that far off. The Penn <laughs> Central kept the shops open. They just moved them. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, those shops were highly automated. That was the problem. You know, once they started automating shit, you know, they didn't need as many mm. people as Altoona could supply. Um, oh, God. Uh, that'll be a future episode. Uh, think, wait for yeah, our, take a dark uh, turn in the middle of it. Yeah, uh, at, at a mere uh, slide <laughs> 20 of 32 uh, on this fucking death <laughs> march towards me getting alcohol poisoning. Well, uh, wait for uh, our yeah. Penn Central episode. That'll yeah. be fun. 18 <laughs> hours long miniseries. Almost certainly, yeah. So, okay. So a lot of these brewers became very wealthy. Um, you may have seen some of the fallout from the Anheuser-Busch family in the news recently. Um, yeah, we talked about this a little bit. Yeah. So, this is Ken and Karen, right? Mm-hmm. Here to shoot the Black Lives Matter protests. Ken is going to get a cartridge in his nipple. <laughs> it's not uh, if he fires <laughs> that gun. Uh, the fact that you would pay more fucking money to make your AR look like an M16. I kind of like well, that. I kind of like the guy. retro look. Sh- should have gone with the like cut down pre Stanag Vietnam magazine too. Uh, get like 10, 20 rounds in there. I think that'd be cool. I I like her little like uh sort of like uh crooked arm <laughs> three eighty. Um, I I really appreciate I just, that. Like, uh, uh, I'm gonna I, like I think, somebody. Yeah. Yes, and then there's gonna be sixty fucking people at your throat, and you're gonna deserve mm-hmm. it. And all you did was leg somebody. Uh, I was about to say, if they shot someone, like their their house definitely would have been burnt down. Um, they would have deserved oh, yeah. it, you know. I'm like, so this these these folks live in a house that was bought by um, Adolphus Bush himself for his daughter and son in law as a gift. 
Yeah. Mm. Have you seen the the photos of the inside? It's horrifying. It it is a Gilded Age mansion. I can appreciate it on those merits. I'm I'm not going to say like I think it's a very I think it's a very pretty house. I think the people who own it are extremely bad. Yes. <laughs> mm. I, the, the the things that they filled it with though, like the ornaments of the like stuffed peregrine falcon guarding the bread rolls. Um, I I paid attention to the architecture more than I did like the actual like stuff that was in there. So I I I, I, mm. I don't know. I was I was as operating on it. Oh, you think you're better than us? You know, you think you're better than us. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I. Yes, I'm highly trained to appreciate the architecture on a different oh, level. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you, don't, yeah. you don't enjoy it on as many levels as I do. Oh, good. So, but this was uh, Adolphus Bush's uh, uh, a house he bought for his uh, daughter and son-in-law. Um, and, you know, this is the sort of wealth you could have back in the day is you could just buy your daughter a palazzo for the hell of it. It's St. Louis, man. You could still do that. Well, (laughs) well, like people were calling it a McMansion. Uh, in fact, I think I did because I wasn't paying attention and it's, it, it's not, it's just a regular old mansion. It's a regular mansion. Yeah. A hundred percent say it's a regular mansion. Now the, the other thing is, of course, uh, Adolphus Bush had several other, um, extremely egregious um, uh, displays of wealth, one of which was his private railroad car. Nice. Awesome. So he had a private railroad car which had a beer tap in every room. Don't pretend yeah. like you yeah. wouldn't. No, no we're I would. not arguing that. We're just, no, yeah. one of the weird thing is if you look this up online, you will see the wrong railroad car. Um, hmm. You will see the Adolphus which was the corporate private railroad car that Anheuser-Busch had for a long time, which is just a regular corporate railroad car. Well, we don't really have those anymore. Uh, but his, his own one was probably something a little older. It had a beer tap in every room. That sounds fucking dope as hell. I want to do that. people have no goddamn imaginations yeah. Yeah. anymore, and that's so fucking disappointing. Absolutely. No, nobody, nobody would have, these guys would never have a private yeah. train. Yeah, they're just not, they're not fun. They will, you it's know, they, no they need to have a private island where they can do, like, pedophilia and shit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how, how would you do pedophilia when you're so drunk that you have uh, a beer tap in every room? How would you do that? You, you couldn't, you, couldn't yeah, be done. You can't, you can't, you can't do pedophilia when you're drunk because suddenly the moral <laughs> compass kicks in. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. It's like, oh no, wait, this is a kid. Fuck, I can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) You hear that, Ellen Powell? You just go home. If if someone was doing pedophilia on your mate, I would simply leave. What are you eating, Alice? That's the other thing. If it's a private railroad car, you're going like 70 miles an hour. Like, it's very difficult to leave. Oh, you could just walk up further the train, sell the conductor. Hey, they're doing pedophilia back there. Just, just like, toss, okay. just toss the pedophile out of the train yeah, that's a, at seventy that's miles an hour. That's a good oh, idea. That's a good whatever. idea. I would. Yeah, just be like no ticket. If you know what you're doing, you could probably cut the whole car loose from the back of the train. Man. That'd be pretty funny. Of course, the the most well known pedophile has a goddamn airplane, not a train. Yeah, you can't do anything about the airplane. So no. we can assume that Adolphus Bush probably not a pedophile. Well, because it, unless would have we done... do Liam's plan with the surface-to-air yeah. missile launches. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. Yeah, we started off this episode with Liam threatening to take down every airplane in the world. <laughs> well, yeah. to be fair, uh-huh. uh, my parents' house in York is three houses. Has a surface air to missile launcher. Yes, yeah. You know, well, as you know, three, uh, <laughs> three, three fucking uh, houses down is York Hospital and York Hospital's helipad. So there I was oh, as boy. a teenager, mad at the world. Mad at everything, not sleeping particularly well. Oh boy! And I fucking thought to myself every night at like two forty-five a.m. I, what if I just had a Stinger missile and I would shoot the goddamn helicopter down? <laughs> and I bet they wouldn't fucking try again. They're already dying. They're already dying. What do they care? At least they didn't crash the, the helicopter young onto and healthy, you, like Glasgow police What'd did. What you said to me, Ross? I said the pilots are uh, young oh, and healthy, Liam. Oh, look at me, I'm a fly boy. Not anymore, you're not. Glasgow, Glasgow cops managed to crash their own helicopter no. on a pub full of people. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Just don't have helicopters. There's no Society has progressed beyond the needs Death of machines. helicopters. Especially in the hands of cops, the people least equipped to deal yeah. with them. Good lord. They don't understand what's going on. It's like giving a nuclear weapon to a dog. I feel like a dog would be more responsible with a nuclear weapon because he wouldn't know how to use it. Also true. <laughs> oh, God. All right. So then. How many parts is this episode going to be in? Four or five? No, this is a bonus episode. It's in one. So then something oh, bad boy. happened. The prohibition. Yeah. Prohibition. Yeah. Right, so one of the problems with America was that people got drunk a lot, to the point that it was a problem. Oh, the problems. It was a problem. I don't, I don't agree. I mean, I don't agree either, but the thing <sighs> is, there was a popular movement to ban, you know, to restrict yeah, us, of ban nuds. the sale of alcohol. Everybody, everybody supported nuts. Prohibition. That's one of the, like, the weird quirks of history, is like the IWW supported Prohibition. Yes, I'm wearing my IWW Thank you, Alice. Drinking a beer. So, yeah. Anytime. I mean, listen, right? Like, it, we never had prohibition in this country, but what we did have was like a bunch of Christian temperance movements that created things like bars, but like where you could only no, get milk no, or like off. fruit juice. Oh, you, yeah. You it get, was get the, so. Get the maloco. Yeah. And you go mm. do some ultraviolence. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Bit of the old in-out, in-out. So, the 18th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution was passed in 1917, um, which was designed to prevent the sale or use of intoxicating liquors. Now, remember passing amendments? There's an interesting caveat to that, right? Is that, what was the definition of intoxicating liquor? And the people mm. who promoted this amendment had very different ideas of what it was. Oh, good. Most people thought intoxicating liquor was hard liquor. Yes. You know, um, anything which is over a certain ABV by volume, like, I don't know, 100 yeah. proof or higher. Congress passed the Volstead Act, which said that an intoxicating liquor was anything with more than half a percent oh, alcohol. Oh. <laughs> hand wash ban <laughs> fully wahabist yes. mm-hmm. and this came as a shock to a lot of prohibitionists they were like oh I thought we could still Whoa. have beer 
<laughs> no. <laughs> no, you can't. They thought they were only banning distilled liquor, which, you know, I think all of us have had bad oh, experiences with. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, and they also thought they were only banning consumption in public, is the other thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, they took it too far. Time to give the federal government a vast amount of oversight into public life and yeah. not check. Yeah, so this was universally realized this is this is a bad idea, and somehow, somehow this shit lasted until 1933. I have no idea uh, how. Um, remember doing amendments? They realized they needed tax revenue, and they were like, oh no, you do whatever you want again. And then they realized they needed beer. <laughs> yeah, you, um... On the other hand, we did get the Untouchables out of it, and that's a great movie. You know, they they send one of yours to the hospital, you send one of theirs to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. That's, that's a good movie. movie. Um, so, so prohibition worth it. Happy to announce I have finished my four loco. Congrats! Oh, was how was that for you? Another beer. I mean, I have to pause the episode. I've never been on the receiving end of this before. Nah, just keep going. We usually usually what happens. When you're when your office that Liam tells a joke, um, so you know any good jokes? Let me think of a joke. Man walks into a bar. He says, "Ouch." <laughs> I, I have a Soviet joke. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, knock knock. Who's there? Trotsky. Trotsky, who? Well done, comrade. You've passed my little test. <laughs> I wasn't sure whether to get my ice pick out or not, but I don't think I can do that over the <laughs> over the podcast. Oh. <laughs> Sweet gracious God, I am back. Love to do a, a nineteen-hour podcast. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. This is my fault. Listen, I'm, I'm, we're, we're, we're going to do podcast. all of this in. In Ken Burns' voice, prohibition was fought in a thousand places, um, from Mechanicsville to um, Tuscaloosa. My dearest Alice, it has been so long <laughs> since the Tosh of Beer has tasted my tongue. I have been weary without your spirit and your 20,000 gallon vats to gaze upon. Please, please. Is that what we're calling them? Please, with haste, send me, uh, send me some styrene, please. Hold me out of my misery. <laughs> All right. Mm -hmm. This prohibition lasts until 1933. Eisenhower, in addition to like New Deal shit and like what's his you face was so Eisenhower. bad. Uh, Hoover. Excuse me. Yeah, fucking Did I Eisenhower. Say Eisenhower? I did yeah, say that. I'm a fucking moron. I put it in the mm -hmm. notes too. No, Roosevelt. I, I, you know, when Franklin Delano Eisenhower. Franklin Delano Eisenhower. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> fucking god. Yeah, my. This is what happens when you do an, an episode on beer. Is you drink a lot of beer when you're doing it, just to remind you of beer, and then you forget other things. Yeah. You forget who the president was. Listen, I was not alive when either Roosevelt or Eisenhower were president, so... But you, you know. know of. All right. Yep. Roosevelt was elected on a platform of, you know, New Deal, but also repealing Prohibition. Like, yep. come on, guys. Yep. You know, we want to get we rid of this shit. 
We'll do some democratic socialism if that's the price for <laughs> being able to drink beer again. Yes. DSA should do that shit again. Just like, yeah, we'll, we'll do the Green New Deal, but like, I don't know, just like beer subsidies. You have to get rid of. The, I mean, get rid of the war on drugs. You know, yeah, that's, that's, that's one way of doing it. That'd be pretty good. Yeah. Of course, some breweries were able to survive prohibition. Um, they were able to diversify into soft drinks or ice cream or other lines of business. Working. But lots, lots of breweries closed up. Some good. distilleries were also distilleries, some of which were able to survive by making. Wait for it, medicinal whiskey. Buffalo Trace, <laughs> if you go there, if you ever find yourself in, uh, I believe it's Frankfurt, Kentucky, I've been there once, but if you go to Buffalo Trace, they will proudly tell you that they are one of the few distilleries to have survived Prohibition because they were able to keep making whiskey and just say, no, it's for medicinal purposes, you had to get a doctor's note. Yeah. Uh, uh, wi wineries and uh, vineyards were able to keep going in some cases by doing sacramental wine uh, or grape juice <laughs> sometimes, dying. or as we as we talked about on yeah, sorry about your COVID. Uh, uh, also, as we talked about on the Austrian wine tasting thing, uh, sometimes you could just sell somebody a bunch of grapes or grape juice. And then uh, with a label that's like, don't do this exact series of steps yes. or it will turn into wine. That would be illegal. You shouldn't do that. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's, it's, it's like uh, when you buy like a little glass pipe that says for decorative use only from a gas station. Oh, Jesus. But one of the problems is you're in prohibition, right? Alcohol mm -hmm. commands oh. a premium, right? You can brew beer clandestinely and a lot of folks did but mm. beer was not like as commonly sought out as other forms of alcohol right if you're, you're gonna make a count yeah do you want to have you don't want to have like five kegs of beer or do you want to have like i don't know or exactly yeah so beer got the short shift on this one you know, it was it was um, much easier and more profitable with bootleg moonshine if you had a huge and invent yes. NASCAR. And if you had like a huge mechanized operation that was required to brew pale lagers prior to prohibition, to exacting specifications, you know, this was not something you could operate profitably anymore. Certainly, and you could not run it clandestinely. Mm. And after Prohibition, you know, some breweries reopened, but the thing is, you're in the middle of the deepest part of the Depression. <laughs> right. Yeah, not, not, I mean, even in Depressions, people like buying alcohol, but by yeah, this point, people don't yeah. like buying beer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People want to get drunk, uh, like, cheaply and quickly. Uh, this is the same period where you get the growth of fortified wines because, like, wineries are able to, uh, like, rebound more quickly. Love me some grappa. It's delicious. It tastes I like gasoline. That, That's what I want. <laughs> no, I do love grappa. I've never, I've, honestly, I've never had a bad night when I've drank grappa because it disciplines yeah. me. <laughs> I, 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 of Weird nights. I don't think I've ever had a bad night on Grappa. I've had some weird fucking nights on Grappa. There's just like 3.30 and I'm just texting like every girl I've ever met. Just like, hey, what are you doing? 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 I'm like, <laughs> I'm not even ready. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm curious. I just want to know. 
Yeah, you just want to check in. Hey, Grappa makes you do weird stuff. Yeah, I agree with that one. So, these breweries reopened in the middle of the Great Depression, and they struggled along for a while, and then World War II hit, and that meant there were rations on grain, including barley. Mm -hmm. So, what do you do? You start replacing the barley with rice. Gross. And rice could start supplanting barley in a lot of recipes. It was cheaper. Lots of breweries switched over. Mm-hmm. Um, and after World following War- the same yeah. tradition as like patent malt, where you just like you get the percentage of the mm-hmm. thing that allows you to flavor, and the rest is externality, and you ruthlessly eliminate that because it's costing you money. Yes, I will defend patent malt. It actually works. <laughs> well, so 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 does using rice. You get you get a drinkable you get a drinkable beer out of it. I don't know if I would call this the king of beers, but it's not bad. It's fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I agree with that one. The thing is, after World War II, these brewers did not switch back to barley. They kept brewing with rice, and that formed the base of what we call the modern American adjunct lager, right? Eagle Screech goes here. Yes. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't fucking have one of those. Even do I even have any American patriotic drops? Probably not. Pathetic. I don't know. Just use the East as red. Just put in. Uh... This is a actually an inter-prohibition uh, between prohibition and um, World War II advertisement here. The uh, mm. big PBR sign in Chicago. Um, cool. All right. So, what does it say? Sharpie on the bottom right. Sharpie. Sharpie. Oh, yeah. Sharpie. Yes. Sharpie is this wonderful place where you can go look at a lot of extremely high resolution photographs from a long time ago. It's great. Huh. Um, cool. I highly recommend Sharpie. Uh, you can get prints of them too. Um, I'm not affiliated with Sharpie, neither is this podcast, <laughs> um, but I like them, um, because it's, sometimes you can, like, find stuff from ages ago you would not see otherwise. I could have sworn we used this photo in the well, Lost episode, yes. which we should, we should probably re-record we, we or something. Yeah. yeah, we've used this. Yeah, so, uh. all right, so, after this, after this period of prohibition... And then World War II, you come out the other end, you got a booming economy, you have folks who are enthused about the future, which is something I wish I could experience. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, people, it was almost as if they knew that their entire life was going to be the highest standard of living in human history, and then it was all going to be downhill as soon as they started getting old and dying. Um... And so they just, like, became gigantic pieces of shit. After World War II, we get consolidation, consolidation, and consolidation, right? The brewing industry fared surprisingly well under Prohibition, like a lot of breweries made it out at the end. But during and after the war, quality went to shit. There were lots of local breweries in many cities, so you had, like, I'm putting this... Pabst Blue Ribbon sign up here. That was a Milwaukee mm-hmm. beer. You had like Ortlieb's in Philly mm-hmm. that lasted a long time. National Bohemian that was in Baltimore. Again, lasted a long time. Ballantine, which made one of the last classic IPAs. 
Um, that was in New York, New Jersey. You had Duquesne Brewing in Pittsburgh. We showed Christian Hurick in Washington, D.C. a while back. Um, some of these are producing unique and interesting beers. Most of them are producing swill. Yes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it's local swill. You have your you have your like cities like uh, regional pride swill. I mean, that's the thing about Philadelphia Brewing Company is they produce a local swill that's good. I love your cans in here. <laughs> mm. It's garbage, but I like it. All their other beers suck. Uh, no, the <laughs> Joe Porter is decent. The Joe Porter's good. Yes, at the New Bold IPA mm -hmm. is also good. Um. So, Flirtily High is one of the worst beers I've ever had in my life. Oh my god, that's so bad. It's so fucking bad. Holy <laughs> shit, that's a bad beer. <laughs> it's annoying because it's like named after like this the, 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 the good baseball field, um, the Connie Mack Stadium, um, which uh, unfortunately was burned down in the 1980s. It was one of the, I, I, would, I would say, one of the best of the original baseball fields Absolutely. out there. Um, yeah, it was, it was a beautiful stadium and yeah, burned down. Um, Phillies left, they moved down south, down to South Philly, not actually moved down south, like, um, Boston Braves. shit, yeah, the Atlanta Boston Phillies, Braves. Uh, yeah, Boston all Braves, yeah, place. <laughs> or out west because Philly has lost the Warriors, Philly has lost, uh, god, who else? The Athletics, the athletics. there you go. Yeah, Wait, the Oakland fish. Athletics? Yeah, the, no, they're the Philly yes. Athletics. Really? Yeah. Jesus. Give them back. I never give knew them that. Back. <laughs> yeah, give Philly back the A's. I, I want a team I can hate even more than I already hate the Phillies. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, you know, lots of these lots of these breweries are producing, you know, swill. Lots of recipes are being adapted for the brewery equipment that's available, right? So, if you're brewing an ale, this starts to become a cream ale, right? Which is like a... Dude. Yeah. Uh, so, this is like... Have you ever had Gen... Fucking FDR took all of my, like, malting uh, floor and, like, all of my tanks to, like, use to make Shermans and Liberty ships. Yeah, yeah, I'm, liber I I'm libertarian now, <laughs> thanks to this. Yeah. <laughs> so you 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 start to substitute in where you can use adjuncts as opposed to barley you start doing so adjuncts are things that provide sugar which is not barley um your complex products like rice. You yeah rice corn so on and so forth uh mm -hmm. your cream ale is like that's a process where you can still technically call it an ale but it has a lager profile right and breweries start to consolidate all the beer was the same. It was all shitty. <clears throat> so who cared if Anheuser-Busch bought up your local brewery, right? And then it mm. shut down its operations. Other than the workers, of course. They were pretty mad. The market was very quickly... I mean, not very quickly. This was a process of 40, 50 years. Uh, dominated by a few brands. You know, Miller, Coors, Anheuser-Busch. There were some holdouts like Pabst... Pabst actually has, to this day, kept a couple of local breweries yep. alive, although they're not brewed on location anymore. Um, hmm. They just bottle them there, or...? Yingling also has obviously not given up the ship. 
So, like, Pabst Brews National Bohemian, which is the Baltimore beer, but it's all brewed and bottled in Milwaukee, right? Mm. And, um, what else? Pabst does, Schieffer is yeah. another one. Um, they also do... I think they do all German. Yeah, they do, they do a couple of, like, really shit-tier beers. Which they decided mm. to keep around. Although I like National Bohemian because it tastes like the Inner Harbor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Got that Columbus it is, experience. It is not brewed. I, I want to say this to all of our Baltimore fans who are all goddamn morons. And I love your city. I've been going to your city for years. I spent a huge amount of my youth doing drugs <laughs> in your city. National Bohemian is not fucking brewed in Baltimore. <laughs> National Human is brewed in North Carolina, Georgia, Ohio, I believe Milwaukee. Not fucking brewed. Because people will fight you on it. People will honestly fight you on it. Be like, no, it's brewed in Baltimore. No, it's fucking not. Yeah, the, 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 two, the two great uh, like fighting positions of Baltimore, Ray Rice is good and Nasty Bo is brewed in Baltimore, and neither I is correct. I will say that like, one of my <laughs> favorite things about people from Baltimore, which obviously I, I have... I have a uh, like a like a spiritual connection to Baltimore. I was like I grew up around there, and and I and I went, mm-hmm. there. but just like Philly gets this city as being very like, you know, combative and annoyed just at everything. Philly wishes it could be mm. as pissed off as Baltimore is all the time. Like it just like, just absolute total like Philly's wild, but like Baltimore is just like I will bur- I'll just burn it. We'll just burn it. Like, you know where they, you know, the first time they ever played a Major League Baseball, I mean, not the first time, but I believe uh, Major League Baseball games without any fans, Baltimore. Never do that shit in Philly. You just get arrested in Philly. Baltimore's just like, we can't even have people in this stadium. Although, (laughs) I remember Rheingold. Rheingold is my favorite. Uh, This is when my parents were still drinking, which dates them. Uh, They drank Rheingold, which was tragic. And I just learned that it was owned by... uh, by Jewish people, and I just I feel a special connection, but <laughs> like my favorite thing about just shit American beers is how everyone's just like yeah, you know, craft beer is really good yeah, bit, 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 bit. it's like craft beer kind of sucks though, and I long for the days where I could buy a six mm. pack for two dollars I'm sorry of like mediocre uh, like American okay, adjuncts this, you know, winding road here I just remember oh no, it's fine the drop that I wanted added to the drop catalog, mm. which was Brett Kavanaugh saying, I like beer. Oh, I like <laughs> beer. Yeah, when his voice kind of cracks, he uh, sounds kind of like a Muppet. Yeah. I like beer. That, that, was, that was the one we should have oh, had for God. this episode. Anyway, mm. after Prohibition, you know, there's major consolidation. Uh, those that remained were like, you know, they were either able to survive on reserves or they had alternate business. You had places like Yingling, which is basically an accident of history, and also coal country refuses to they drink really anything do. other. Uh, oh, oh, I, I actually I have an aside yeah. for why I, I love Yingling. Why I love you. Shut up. Oh, Alex. another one. Good. Oh, I love Yingling. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> uh, it. We'll do a five hour right. episode. I don't uh, give a shit. So, my girlfriend uh, has lived around Philly her entire life. And she was talking to a friend of mine who grew up in York, and she was like, oh, and like kind of, like, not bragging, being like, oh, like, this bar, like, great happy hour specials, I can get Yingling for $4 a pint. And my friend points out, 
back where we're from, you could get Yingling sometimes for a dollar a pint if you know the right place. And I was just like, I will drink 14 of these, get in my car, drive 25 miles, and it won't matter because DUI is not real in your county. <laughs> I, uh, I, I mean, <laughs> listen, when, I, when, when we recorded the first episode, I was like, yeah, cool. no, we're finally, we're getting back on top of this. We got we're it under two, an hour and a half. Plus, and we still got a bunch to go. All right. Forwards! Uh, Forwards! Forwards! Forwards. Schnell! Mach schnell! So, yeah, some accidents of history. Yingling, right? Basically an accident of history. Coal country can't do without Yingling. No one wanted to buy it. No one wanted to sell it. Yeah, you go to and get six pints Um, for $5. What are you complaining about? Oh my god, that was wonderful. So, Pabst, um, actually I wanted to explain the sign. Pabst Blue Ribbon, you might see here, blended 33 to 1. What did that mean? What did it mean, Roz? Uh, 30, 33 parts piss to one part beer. No. You're not no. wrong. PBR is fine! Yes. It's fine! Yes. You're over here, you're over here bitching no. and moaning. Oh, no. I like a lager. I don't like IPAs. My name's Alice. Blah. Here's a fucking lager just for you, you big fucking... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I want the lager that tastes like the Chernobyl graphite core. We don't, we don't, um, we don't quite have at this point in time. This is, this is interesting. This sign was erected be, between Prohibition and World War II because it was taken down in World War II no. for scrap because they were, mm. yeah, um, blended thirty three to one means that they would brew 33 different batches of PBR, they would blend them all together, and then that was what went in the can. That's how they did consistency, because they didn't quite have, like, the extreme chemistry we have today. Man, I mean, one of the things that I like in a beer is that I want to be able to, like, open a can and be like, man, this is going to be exactly like the previous can that I just finished, which I definitely remember the taste of. Yes. Um, Yeah, you do want that. A lot of people want consistency. That's, like, that's not unheard of. Well, let me me, me ask you this, Alice. Let me ask you this, Alice. You've got... Well, fucking dollars, Alice, okay. or whatever you have in, in made up bullshit yes. uh, money. Yeah, well, yeah, I, 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 yeah, so I have twelve guilders or whatever. Now you go down to the off <laughs> yes. license because you people live in hell, and mm-hmm. you think to yourself, "Correct, well, I'd rather have six beers, all of a reasonable ABV. Mm-hmm. But I know if I drink six, I'll get drunk. Yeah, or would I rather spend yep. more money?" And the beer is going to be possibly wildly inconsistent. Maybe it'll be good. Maybe it won't be good. Maybe it'll be great. Who the fuck knows? Uh, if you're if you're a working person and you I have X amount say. of dollars, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I will say this much. Sometimes sometimes a woman will find herself in an experimental mood and she'll be like Man, I dunno. Maybe I'd like to try a bunch of different beers, and if I don't like the taste of it, I just keep drinking, and then it doesn't matter. 
I, 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 I would call that I would call that out logic and out fucking skilled, and you you have you have like lost to the merciless elbow strikes of uh, of, of debate and reason <laughs> in the octagon of of mind palace intelligence. Ben, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> now in Canada, this actually got worse. Uh, they had prohibition for a lot less time than we did. Uh, but their brewery consolidation was also was was much, much worse, right? By the time I didn't know they even had prohibition, they had prohibition very briefly, and it was all the breweries consolidated into Molson, yeah. Labatt, and Carling hey, O'Keefe. Uh, Alice, I actually have a question: Was there ever a prohibition meaningful one in Western countries beyond the United States and Canada? I mean, I understand not to my knowledge. I don't think we ever did it. Yeah. I I don't think we ever banned alcohol in that way, and I uh, certainly uh, not in Britain. Do you know if Canadian um, prohibition uh, ended up? Because I see that there was a, a vote on eighteen ninety eight, uh, in eighteen ninety eight. But do you know if that had any effects on like Canadian distilling and why their whiskey is so goddamn bad? I don't know okay. anything about Canadian distilling other than it's not good. I, d- oh, they I had, there, there were like, a few. Everything was like hmm. consolidated very quickly. You know, and the fact that like Carling O'Keefe is a brewery is like very strange to me. Mm. They, they they had a few Nordic countries that did do prohibition, as it turns out. Um, the know, Faraway but... Islands, okay. which is uh, yeah, which are like insane Christian headbangers banned alcohol from 1907 to 1992. Oh my god! Um, S- Sweden Sweden rationed it until uh, 1955. And Iceland had prohibition uh, from 1915 until 1922, although they kept beer banned until 1989. Oh my god! Yeah, you had to mix it with spirits. You could get a you could get away with that by I having like a boilermaker. Boilermakers for everyone. Ireland, and I was there on Good Friday, and the guy was like, "Oh yeah, it's Good Friday, so mm-hmm. we can't sell you liquor." And then the next sentence was, "But I can put some in lemonade, and if you want to <laughs> say it's lemonade, that's fine." <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was, that was, it was, uh, it's, uh, yeah. It's it's Ireland. Just you know. Mm-hmm. So we have to go to the next set oh, of notes. So, oh, boy. in Britain, there were some other developments occurring as a result of you know increases on taxes on beer's original gravity, which happened during World War One and World War Two. As opposed mm-hmm. to prohibition, they just started increasing the taxes on higher alcohol beer. Right, and that meant beer got sh- weaker and it got shittier. Right? Yeah, yeah. You just have like a pint of better that like tastes like a couch and does nothing for you. <laughs> yeah, it's like three point two percent alcohol or some crap like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was, you know, and this is one of the ways that like pale lagers came into favor over time, over mm-hmm. you know your weak ass British bitter ale, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's that's where we wherefore we get our current British culture of binge drinking is readily available lager that will actually get you drunk I, if you drink I a lot of it. Reading something unlike... where someone was bitching and moaning about uh, how IPAs are too boozy now, they were just like, "Why do we not look to the British, who have you know the really <laughs> the British <laughs> seen here passed yes, out yes, on right, a park we, bench, we bring up, yes. you know every every football who would get in the world." And they said, you know, well, all the British beers are like 4.5%. It's like, well, A, that's not true. 
And be, yes, but you're still drinking five trillion mm-hmm. of them. Like, so who gives a shit? Like, uh, yeah, if you if you drink twenty pints, uh, as as like one conservative minister, William Hague, once claimed that he had done as a young man, if you drink twenty pints of pretty much any alcohol, including hand wash, you're gonna have a fun time, uh, regardless of like the ABV. I don't know if I've drank twenty pints. I have definitely drank twenty. Uh... 12 ounce cans of beer. I, 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 yeah, I mean, don't care to know what my record is, but I know that it is well north of 30. What, what I will say is that past a certain point, and I'll say for me, it's about, I don't know, seven, maybe six or seven. It just, you're just a hose. (laughs) Like, you're not, you're you're digesting alcohol, but you're just like pissing at the same rate. The gang beats bugs. One of my favorite things is that, like, as Boss and I are both big boys, like, when people are just like, like, very rarely say it to us, but sometimes they're visibly like, oh, I'm going to play keep up with Liam and Roz uh, in terms of just beer drank and inevitably at least to somebody nearly dying. Sometimes Roz. Yeah, the first live show is going to be, again, with the Indiana Jones references, me doing uh, uh, Karen What's-Her-Face trying to, like, drink you guys under the table, except I will not succeed. Alright, let's, let's get... The first, the first, first live show will end with one of our faces melting. Not anyway. me, not me, I'm Jewish, yeah, I'm good, yeah, so that's true. I'm Jewish. As, yeah, you're, as you're, 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 <laughs> you got the most elusive, you got the most elusive, baby. <laughs> As a result of these, as a result of these taxes on original gravity, beer in Britain by the middle of the 20th century had half the alcohol content of beer in the early 19th century. Three five or less than that. Yeah, three five. Yeah, Guinness Uh, Guinness still has like basically the same alcohol as it had in the 1950s, right? This, this used to be a 7% beer, now it's like 3.5, right? Extra stout, allegedly. Extra stout still has like a high alcohol. They haven't really changed that too much, although I believe mm-hmm. they stopped brewing it sometime in the 70s and then brought it back um, because they thought there was no market for it anymore. Um, you mm-hmm. know, because be- the, the doldrums of beer were a right, real thing. Yeah. Like no one could figure out what the yeah. hell was yeah. beer anymore in the nineteen seventies. You, know you know what's interesting? You know what's interesting is that this happened in Germany too. Um like you mentioned you mentioned hell, right? You mentioned Hellas. Um that yeah. that that occupied a kind of similar space to British and domestic beers, where it was like this trad thing that just got weaker and weaker as Pilsner and Lager got stronger and stronger. Um and so you you had lots of like local German breweries that made like I don't know like a Kielis Hell or or whatever the fuck, and like people would keep drinking it, and then it would just go out of business because lager was unstoppable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the thing is, like the German style of pale lager like <clears throat> dominated on six continents. Wow, um, mm-hmm. you can you can like get a German lager, a German sort of Hell's lager. You know, you can get a Kingfisher in India. Your favorite you beer. You can get an, yep. a Hashi Dry yeah. beer in Japan. You, you can get a Tusker in Kenya. Yeah. You can get um, Singtao, which uh, was a, like a German colonial possession in China. Yeah. Um, you know what? This is a, a perfected style. Um, it tastes the same mm-hmm. everywhere. Yep. Um, it's delicious. Yep. It's very good. All of them are very good. Mm-hmm. 
but like also, you know, this was just the dominant style of beer and there was like no uh, alternatives, right? You couldn't like brew a different kind of beer. And as a result, like beer looked kind of done for a while, right? It was mm. universally, especially in the United States, it was swill, right? It was losing, yeah. losing market share to liquor. Um, and liquor had the advantage of it, you know, it tasted good as well as getting you drunk real fast. Uh, and yeah, you can mix it with stuff. No one knew what to do except for one man. That man was Michael Jackson. <laughs> also Jewish. Also Jewish. Oh, okay. Also Jewish. Yeah, no, no, really? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's I would never have guessed the, the, the name from Jackowitz to Jackson. Just, yeah. F- fucking like Fidel Castro ass jacket. Yes. With the- that man. That man basically <laughs> saved beer all by himself. And every picture of him yeah. is increasingly uh, yeah. hilarious. He looks <laughs> he, the way I feel. He and I'm, died of Parkinson's uh, very young at 65. I know. But yeah, I, I, one of the, the things oh. that gives me uh, strength and comfort in these times is just finding pictures of him because he always looks kind of baffled. Like, he always looks, yeah. he looks a little surprised <laughs> he's like, what that he's the fuck here. Is this? And I'm just like, that's how I, I, I aspire yeah. to live my life, is be like, become the world's like foremost authority on beer. Basically save save one of the uh-huh. oldest beverages by yourself and just like look like that all the yeah, time. Yeah. That's what I want out of my life. All right. So the thing about Michael Jackson, remember how we've talked about various different styles of beer over the course of this uh-huh. episode, right? The, the beers were different. He invented them. He was the first person to think that like there are different styles of beer. Beer is mm. not just beer. There are different ways you can make beer. And no one had mm-hmm. quite like thought to put this into writing before. In different places, they make different kinds because of beer. Because they were beer, too busy drinking. They have different different flavors, right? And uh huh. This so in 1977, he published the World Guide to Beer, which is an absurdly yeah. comprehensive guide to every every kind of beer. Not every kind of beer, but like. Most kinds of beers that were being brewed in 1977, which, of course, mm. you know, th- this was during the the bad times of beer. This was yeah. this was during the times when, like, people were like, beer is shit. I mean, I remember an anecdote um, from someone who interviewed Mr. Ortlieb, um, who, who was um, the brewer at Ortlieb's Brewery here in Philly. That was our last macro brewer before it was shut down because they couldn't compete with you know the big macro brewers and they're like well we need mm. we need like a better kind of beer to you know um compete with these we need a new flavor and they're like we're gonna make a martini flavored beer oh. right and it's like no that's not the that's not the way you're gonna do it like the the way forward with beer is beer right <laughs> But this was again like prior to Michael Michael Jackson coming in and saying there are many different kinds of beer. We can think about beer in a different way, right? There's more to beer than just you know having a big bag of cans with the lads. We 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 say to attempt to disprove this uh by by getting together with with our podcast friends and uh becoming quite drunk 
We're gonna we're gonna rehabilitate this 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 alcoholic drink. Uh, yeah. I, I say tuned like forty minutes into the fucking episode <laughs> and about to fall off my fucking chair. Look, we're all gonna make it through this. We have, mm. we have a task ahead mm. of us. Right. Ah, task and purpose. Task and purpose. Task uh, and purpose. Gun country. Gun country. Gun country. Hi, Joe. All Roll right. The Let's go. Joe All right. So our next, our next, our next character is the campaign oh, for what? real ale. Because I am, I am, I am, I am a dirty great big Five Nations fan. So. It's uh, a, a reference there to uh, Cameraman by Half Man Half Biscuit, which summarizes the kind of guy who gets very into the campaign for real ale. Here's the thing. The campaign for mm. real ale, I think, at the end, achieved some really oh, like, anti-capitalist goals. Yeah. The Beer <laughs> Liberation <laughs> Front did a great deal, but, but that does not... This, that does not discount from the fact that the general vibe of every camera guy is uh, like leather vest, BDSM polycule, goatee, Pratchett books, uh, <laughs> cheap trick live at the Budokan. Uh, just. That's, that's also the worst fucking thing about American beer nerds is that like, they're, they're like, all these great mm -hmm. breweries are doing like cool shit like no one's ever done before. And making beer taste in ways you wouldn't expect it, but like they're all such goddamn dorks, and a lot of them are assholes. Yeah, I I love to just like have normal. my just I I love to have normal. a special brew for my hand fasting. I'm wearing a, a leather cowboy hat indoors. Uh, I'm. I, I am repairing uh, like a seventies hey. van, and I have it in bits. Hey. Yeah, I realize, I realize, <laughs> I realize that all criticism is autobiography. I'm just saying that's the beer nerd niche. That's true. I, I can see at that point. We have a time limit on this podcast because I'm returning to bitch. strong beer after this one. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so. The big nerds to camera, the campaign for real ale. This actually started slightly before Michael Jackson started getting real into beer. They get organized to fight to save what little of good beer was left, right? They had a definition of real ale, right? Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. cask conditioned oh, ale. As we. Their own little Reinheitsgebot. Yes. As we mentioned before, this is. Ale. It still has hops added, but it's fermented in such a way that natural carbonation, um, you know, is added to the beer because it's put in a cask before it finishes carbonating, and it's served via that natural carbonation and also gravity, right? It's also served at a warmer temperature. Yeah. Cask, cask temperature is not warm necessarily it's closer to like room temperature but like the image of warm beer is so gross that it lodges in people's minds and so the idea is that these guys are sitting around drinking kind of like skunky like uh warmer than average beer and it's like gross and that's only partially true and i feel the need to defend them a little bit it's not cold you're not drinking it cold like you would a lager but it's not warm either it's like neutral like a wine well it's it's like um 
Okay, so Guinness uh, developed the, um, the, the, widget. the widget as well as the nitrogen um, dispensing system. Uh, the nitrogen mm. dispensing system wasn't until like the late 50s, early 60s um, in order to dispense the beer with the same level of carbonation as like what we might call real ale had, but also at a colder temperature. Um, and then cast condition ale is like still it's dispensed at around 58 59 degrees fahrenheit mm-hmm. i don't know what that i don't know what that is in double it and add 30 mm. so 116 yeah. wait 116 no the other way around degrees huh? celsius yes <laughs> <laughs> it's the same it's the same with with um it's the same with miles per hour right is that like if you double it and add 30 <laughs> Right? Yeah, I, I love to like steer my entire burning off my entire fucking esophagus. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ. Okay, um fifty-eight degrees Fahrenheit in Celsius is 14 degrees which is considerably cooler than room temperature it's like it's a cool day outside if it's 14 yes so you know the 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 whole thing is a rebellion against like kegging which when campaign for real ale starts it's a new thing in england right where you know these are highly carbonated beers that are served at low temperatures and guinness's newfangled nitrogen thing um, and at this point, you have like the big six breweries in Britain who basically mm-hmm. dominate the beer market. They're Whitbread, Scottish and Newcastle, yep. Bass, Charrington, Allied Breweries, Courage, Imperial, and Watneys. Watneys? Watneys. 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 Watneys, yeah. So the campaign for real ale being made of nerds just dumb nerds yeah. were like they were successful in convincing the public and parliament that these big six breweries had undue influence on the british beer industry and beer drinking that resulted mm-hmm. in the supply of beer order of 1989 yeah which added anti-capitalist beerness yeah dumb shits <laughs> They're, they're like fucking nerds. And they were like, no, they achieved a good goal, which is that it added strict limits to the amount of pubs a brewery could own. They broke the beer monopolies. Several of uh, a couple of these big six actually moved into owning pubs as opposed to Father brewing Brew. beer yeah, at the end. Goes, baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why you have one guest beer at every, e- even the Tide pubs they have now, they have to have one guest beer. Although that's been, I understand, um, tied into the system now. Yeah. But still, though, that's more antitrust legislation than pretty much any pressure group has achieved mm-hmm. uh, against a monopoly in recent memory. Yeah. I mean, uh, and yeah. And these fucking dudes who like are all like, yeah, I I, I make my own floggers <laughs> in my spare time, and I I like fucking have a bunch of oh, Liz Fair CDs. Those guys affected it, um, and that rules. You know, this is a good thing. I'm glad they did Thanks, it. Boys. Thank God. 
this episode is dedicated to the noble Mujahideen of the campaign for real air. Yes. And then in America, we're we're again in the doldrums where like no one can figure out like how do we make beer better. We have, you know, one of the problems is that home brewing was illegal from prohibition until 1978. Mm. Thanks, yes, it was also it was legalized in the United Kingdom in 1963. Um, yeah, I got a filing cabinet full of uh, like fermenting casks yeah. as we speak. But one of the things is once once home brewing becomes legal again, folks can brew beer for fun and profit. So what we now call craft beer starts with the New Albion Brewing Company in 1976, notably slightly before the prohibition was relieved um, mm. in Sonoma, California. Uh, the founder homebrewed in Scotland. Where it was still legal. Another great example of, uh, along with this podcast, of Scottish American cultural exchange. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, early craft breweries here in the United States were very English influenced because that's where all the oh. recipe books come from. There were a lot of recipe books available for brewing in the public, public domain, in libraries, and stuff like that. They didn't have the internet back then, obviously. So it wasn't just like a wealth of information available. If you wanted to learn about like these brewers had to work with American hops and American malts, which I should have put mm. something in earlier in the episode. A lot of the Burton pale ale brewers were actually working with American yeah. hops. Um, oh, also, uh, Yards huh, makes a they, good border. Kept I forgot about good. that, but Yards makes a good border. Moving on. They have, they have a stout, but the stout's crap. No, What's the, the porter? Washington, the Washington porter. I, no, I I haven't had the Washington Porter enough to, for it to good. have that's left good. a memory in me. So a lot of these early craft breweries are very English influenced. Um, they work with American hops and malts. Um, New Albion itself closed fairly quickly, but like once folks had been like, "Oh, we can open our own breweries," the revolution just everybody starts the doing revolution it. started wow. real quick. So 1979 mm -hmm. was Sierra Nevada. They started up in Chico, California. 1984 was Boston Beer Company. That was um, Sam Adams, so on and so forth. 1985, Dock Street in Philly. Yeah. Uh, first, first woman-owned brewery. Also, their employees are on strike I just have, down the street from us right now. To, to say about uh, Dock Street or their... Hire more their, women their, strike their breakers. Oh my God. <laughs> an absolute asshole. I mean, when the pandemic started, they laid off all their uh, yeah. all their front of I think at least front of house. Yeah, and then made them all mm. reapply for their jobs. Yes. I do not believe that it applied to back of house. Could be wrong, but I don't think I am. All right, so now everyone and their brother has a brewery, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's good, right? Some of them are small and independent. Some of them are medium size. Some of them are huge, like Boston Brewing Company. Sam Adams, right? Which, uh, yeah, Sam Adams. Yeah, and one of the things is like they they got so big so quickly that like they had to redefine yes. what a craft brewery was to make sure they mm. were still a craft brewery. Which is why Yingling is now a craft Sam brewery. Sam Adams also bailed <laughs> out a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of breweries. A few years ago, during a hop shortage. Oh yeah, the hop shortage was like a hell of a thing. Mm. 
So now it's 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 let a hundred flowers yeah, they, bloom, they, right? They and we get all of these weird fucked up taps. And in some cases gave the hops away to other breweries so that they could stay in existence. Hmm. The guy the guy who runs it doesn't he need a handler because he's, he's so drunk all the time. I like I I was this is this is anecdotal, but it's coming from me. I was at a a Philly Beer Week event a few years ago, and Jim Kosh, the head brewer at uh, <laughs> Sam Adams, was there. Very nice guy, very friendly guy. Um, but he was, and I mean this, shit faced drunk. Not not falling and not falling all over <laughs> himself, shit faced drunk, but like clearly intoxicated. And somebody who was with him was like, "All right, Jim." Like, but the guy, the other guy, was not drinking. He looked very serious. And I was just like, "Does Jim Kosh have a handler just in case he gets too drunk?" <laughs> nice guy. He bought me beer, yeah. which was fucking sick. But like, yeah, I I love the idea. Also, if you uh, watch some of the old Sam Adams uh, ads on YouTube, you can tell that a lot of them are pretty clearly drunk. And like, that's the way a brewery should be run. That's the, uh, the Stoneworth, <laughs> Stoneworth privilege. Stoneworth privilege. We never talked about the Sternworth privilege during this episode, yeah. I'm suddenly reminded of, again, not beer, but wine, uh, late career, late stage Orson Welles, morbidly obese, uh, doing a commercial for Paul Masson. And if you haven't seen the video of Orson Welles' Paul Masson wine commercial, you owe it to yourself to pause now, look it up on YouTube, and then like start listening again, because it is the most I've heard a man slur, and he just kind of like pronounces from atop this mountain of gut. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson, mm -hmm. inspired by that same French excellence. And it continues like this for <laughs> minutes. No, I have seen it, that. Indescribable. And, and I was like, yeah. yes, I would like to be Orson Welles. Sure, let me do that. Yeah. Let me produce the greatest film in history and then just be Orson Welles. Let me, like, scare fat New Jersey. Yeah. Let me scare New Jersey half to death and then be Orson Welles. <laughs> it's fermented in a bottle and, like, the five French champagnes is vintage dated. All right, so you, you you have craft beer now, right? And there's many kinds of craft beer. You know, you have your American IPA, you have your West Coast American IPA, you have your East Coast American IPA, you have your Cascadia Ale, you have your hazy too many yes. IPAs, hazy bullshit New England IPA. You have your Belgian Congo Pale oh Ale. <laughs> Fucking excuse me. That Jesus is now owned Christ! By AB and Bev and Heiser hmm. Bush. Yes. Ah. And cool. I own. I own. I own a share yeah. of of this, and that I'm drinking a Budweiser right now. I believe. Uh, cool. I believe this. I believe this beer is still brewed under another name. They just they started. Like, they started brewing, and they're like, "Oh, well, I guess we can't use this name." Well, like, yeah, the, 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 like, offensive IPA is absolutely, like, a three. Uh, there's been a million and a half ones where they'll just, like, find a Native American thing that they think sounds cool, and then all of a sudden they're fielding oh, a bunch yeah. of calls from yes. angry Lakota who are like, yeah, please do not, f extremely do not do this shit. There, there are, I mean, the, uh, too much to even name, but there's, there's, like, so many goddamn Kyoka in Chicago that fly way too um, close to the sun and do all these fucking like yep. inexcusably stupid 
And I'm not saying, like, I'm not here oh, yeah. to judge morality, but I am telling you that it's dumb as dog shit. You're a grown fucking adult. You can make a beer that tastes good without pissing a bunch of people off. And if, and if for what it is for you, it's just like, hey, see, it's, that's a thing. Yeah, well, fuck yourselves. Go fuck yeah, stop. it's an you edgy, it's a, like an this. edgy, two-fisted kind of uh, like marketing ploy. It's such offensive bullshit always. Uh, whether that's like the actually offensive stuff of having a Belgian Congo pale ale, Jesus Christ, or even or, or just like regular Brewdog cringe, where it's like, oh, this is this beer is the maximum that the government lets us brew. We call it nanny it's state. It's like it, there's shit. Well, Flying Dog did the, um, Raging, the Raging Bitch, bitch and what did Belgian the Supreme IPA. Court over it? Yeah. Jesus oh Christ. Dog, the guy who owns yeah. Flying Dog uh, is an old-school Colorado libertarian, which is why all their art is mm. done by Ralph fucking Stedman. Uh, oh, that and, rolls, to be fair. They make some really they, good bears, yeah. It's like, it's like at, least, at, least y'all, at least y'all put your money where your mouth Yeah. At least your money. At least you put your fucking money where your mouth is. Like, it's like they supported, they've financially supported, they filed amicus briefs on behalf of lawsuits for a band called the. I'm not actually going to say the name of the band because uh, I really don't want to. But uh, Ace, the C word yes, for Asians. That's a that's a band. And Flying Dog filed an amicus brief uh, to support them because the basically the idea is I you know as this person I should be able to name my product or my band, whatever the fuck I want, leave me alone. And then the Washington football team signed on to that lawsuit, because of course they did. Um, awesome. The band was all Chinese-Americans yeah, exactly. for reference. And Flying Dog at least does important stuff like the Maryland Hop Research Project and shit like that, but that's a lot fucking different than just, you know, whatever, like, craft brewery in North fucking Dakota doing some insane mm. shit like... Yo, there have there have been beers that have made like domestic abuse jokes and shit like that. And like you just you, this is so fucking cheap. The like, the only good the only good kind of gimmick name for a beer is when it's like a local feature. Like that North Carolina brewery that did the elevator lady yeah. beer, because due to some obscure law, North Carolina requires that every elevator have a like signed document from an a, like a state inspector with a headshot on it of them. And so like this this one woman just got like sort of unwillingly famous and North Carolina because her face was in every elevator and they made a beer like in tribute to her. That's gimmicky as shit, but it's not like it's harmless. I think it's kind of cute. Foothills Brewery, Um, also in North Carolina, had a beer called Sexual Chocolate. They've now since changed, they've not changed the name, but they have changed the label, which was like your classic sort of like sexualization of a black woman. It's like this is just a fucking beer. Like Mm -hmm. you don't need to do this. And the fact that you're doing this is just cheap and shitty. Shall we proceed? Shall we? Yeah, I was about to say. Bazinga! I said this off the recording, but, you know, this is what I think when I'm drinking a beer. Yeah, you, you, you enjoy the funky beats. Yeah, this is funky beats. Yeah, I enjoy the funky yeah, beers. No, you don't. You <laughs> this is for Liam. I asked him to make uh, a malt it's liquor a slide. Of my face on uh. it. That's that's delightful. All right, so I'm gonna congrats on being Turbo yeah, so Matt Christman. Let's so, <laughs> speaking of weird ass marketing. Let's talk about malt liquor. 
Uh, so malt liquor is introduced uh, in the 50s uh, as this as a plot as by a, the CIA no, to lower black no, men's sperm counts. No, because the original marketing was to middle-class white people, hence the name Country Club and Old English. It actually wasn't a, huh. it, it wasn't until really the 70s or 80s that malt liquor started being marketed to black people. And no one could really figure this out because like the marketing wasn't to black people. It wasn't less or more expensive. You know, it wasn't higher or lower ABV necessarily. But so beer marketing being what it is, they fucking ran with it and just made, you know, hmm, same as menthol. Right, it's just like we're going to make this as like caricature, this, you know, caricature hmm. and all these like really gross stereotypes as possible. This is our black people yeah, revenue exactly. stream. And like a lot of uh, wildly gross marketing. Uh, but, you know, oh, hey, you know, the whole concern with like, like Colt 45 being like it works every time. The idea being like you're going to get drunk. Some of that like very strange marketing. Mm -hmm. Did get Billy D yeah. in like a velour sweatsuit of, though. That was cool. Was like, oh, we need you know, there's there's a, a I think a thrillist or somewhere else or a drinkist an issue where they kind of offhandedly say like we needed a black spokesperson who still kind of looked white. Uh yeah. Mm. So Maltmaker, you know, despite my 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 love for it, has an especially grody and disgusting kind of uh uh, history associated with it. Mm. There's, there's some stuff that, like... Yeah, up there with fortified wine, uh, yeah. which is like a winery's attempt to bounce back from, from prohibition by like exploiting uh, like racism yeah. and urban decay by like uh, just like infiltrating liquor stores with Thunderbird or MD2020 uh, or the other one that I don't remember the name of. Um... And and so, well, or like Buckfast here, yeah. which is like the bane of of, of fucking existence in yeah, Scotland. I, there's the uh, um, no one really knows why black people started buying it, but the whole like, you know, oh, we're just gonna market to poor black people, uh, and do some really mm -hmm. gross advertising there. And obviously, the introduction of forties, forties go back to at least World War Two, but uh, it's thought that the first malt liquor forty was probably in the early eighties. Uh, there's just a you know, just a bunch of shit. Um, like I said, the marketing has been super gross. Um, I, mm. I will. I will. I mean, bear in mind, like that. beer companies. Yeah, beer companies in the eighties were fully on some like the old dudes yeah. from trading places. I mean, there's shit. A, there's there's uh, a malt liquor launched in the nineties called Crazy Horse. Launched by an Italian boy. guy from fucking Staten oh, Island. Boy. Also, like, and, and obviously, you're talking racial targeting in the, like in the '90s. Philly, in fact, pushed through legislation uh, to limit takeout malt liquor, even though it's none of their goddamn business. Because of course, you don't buy it in restaurants. So it's just the whole mm. idea of targeting problematic and nuisance, you know, shit like oh, that. Oh yeah. But same with any open container laws, which are going to be used disproportionately to harass and then criminalize black people. Uh, like one of the consequences of the '92 LA riots was burning a lot of liquor stores. Uh, not on the basis that, like, uh, as is often suggested, oh, people just wanted to loot them. Like, no, people can afford liquor. The pro the problem was that they didn't want them in their communities, uh, and they they affected that by means of some direct action. Exactly. I mean, you know? this is this is simply a uh, this is essentially one large marketing ploy. 
and then obviously they shifted the marketing from oh yeah you know kind of uh aspirational class white people to black people and it's a pretty gruesome shit in the middle of it and now i will move on to four loco mm. my one true love <laughs> your one true love until the you tried to drink a can of it several hours ago uh so four loco and several other beverages were the first to kind of come to market with uh oh boy uh caffeinated let, let, let's call it an alcoholic energy drink so oh Bud yes, Buckfast yes. did this first. Buckfast yes. was heavily, yes. heavily caffeinated, and the result of this was that you you drank it and you wanted to right. do some violent crimes. Uh, What's oh, I, oh, I haven't heard of this. What's Buckfast? Buckfast. Uh, okay, Buckfast is a kind of fortified wine. It's caffeinated. It's made by monks in an abbey in England, and then shipped up to Scotland, um, where I believe. Uh, th there is some data to suggest that Police Scotland did did a like a longitudinal study of this, and they found that where alcohol was like provably involved in a violent crime, and they could identify the brand of it, it was Buckfast in seventy percent of cases. Um, it's very much marketed to uh, it, it's marketed to desperation. It's marketed as the kind of thing that you want to drink on the street, smash the bottle, and then try to like cut someone's face up sure. with the smashed bottle. Um, yeah, right, and, but it's brewed by yeah. monks, right? Oh yeah, and they disclaim oh, all that, responsibility for this holy. shit. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, that's how can I get some? Uh, you you can you can probably like get some shipped to you pretty easily, and I highly recommend it. Um, because like it it, it it's sometimes called wreck the hoose juice, right? It, you you drink it and you will destroy your home. Um, and oh god. Yeah, no, it, it it smells very strongly, it tastes very strongly, uh, I I can't recommend consuming it, but I, I would say buy a, a bottle to share, and like, see what you think. I like the idea of, I have a religious exemption to brew, like, basically PCP juice. Yeah, Essentially, yes. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I mean, it's, it is, it is the yep. OG, OG for Loka. It tastes... So, it tastes yeah. incredibly sweet. Like you will not be aware yeah. of how uh, much alcohol you're drinking as you're drinking it. I'm I'm always very resistant to the, the idea that like different alcohols have qualitatively different effects. Like oh, I always get drunker on tequila or whatever. But like uh, Buckfast is I get drunker on tequila. Drunk yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I will say yeah, that's true. true. Yeah. But Buckfast, Buckfast is 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 like the devil's work. Have you ever had a sipping tequila? You know, that's yeah, I like a nice, a nice añejo. Um, I like a patron. Um, I had a really nice. Um, Chris got a a, a calle uh, like vente tres for his birthday, and that was delicious. Um, mm. Te tequila is good. Like, um, uh, you were derailing me. Where were we? <laughs> yes. We were talking about right. Four Loco, you know. So. We were talking about Four Loco, and like the, apparently there's a, there, there is a Christian yes. exemption to this, yes. Yes, but this was the heathen, like, uh, un-Christian version of yes. caffeinated so, alcohols. So it actually starts in the United States with the introduction of Sparks in 2002. Four Loco gets introduced in 2005. Uh, and so obviously, like, so I'm not going to get into great uh, detail, but the way caffeine introduces uh, interacts with alcohol in the brain is essentially caffeine 
uh, allows you essentially to drink more because it it helps to take away uh, when your body says, mm-hmm. "I have to stop." The signals that you stop, start right. feeling bad. They're just pushing yes. through. So uh, a whole bunch. Of- Right, so a whole, bunch Christian of, a, whole, soldiers. a whole bunch of kids died <laughs> in 2009, 2010, uh, although I believe Sparks started, Sparks agreed to uh, remove caffeine in 2008. Uh, mm. Did you have, did you have, because like, I remember Four Loco being introduced and then banned, I remember the scandal being that kids would drink too much and then die, did you have like a wave of violent uh, crime associated I, with it? Because that's... I will say that I was a freshman in college when they banned it, and in my possession are two hmm. of the OG Four Loco cans, uh, which I will never ever surrender under any circumstances. Uh, but yeah, I, I like if kids drank, they like, like bad shit was gonna happen. Basically, it was it was a guarantee. Mm. And I remember, like there was stuff like uh, juice, which was knockoff for loco, which the liquor store or the uh, beer distributor next to us where we used to live used to sell for a dollar a can, as you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of there was obviously a lot of legal concerns about. Like, uh, hey, we probably should stop putting caffeine in energy drinks because they can kill ki- or in alcohol because it can kill people. Despite the fact that right this very second, you could walk into a bar and buy a Red Bull and vodka. Um, mm-hmm. I, I will say that, like, I always thought they should bring back OG for Loco. And what I would do, and this is actually my dad's idea, is you introduce 22 ounce bottles, not cans, bottles. And you sit there with a straight face and say, well, it's not meant to be consumed in one serving. <laughs> I mean, that is that is kind of Buckfast vibe. It's like you, you talk to the monks about, huh, why do so many people get like stabbed with your bottles? And they're like, I don't know, we're supposed to like, you're supposed to enjoy it as like a table wine or something. I have never, ever encountered anyone who has drunk Buckfast mm-hmm. at a table. Well, or, I, I, I haven't encountered a lot of people who drink Buckfast who own a table. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I'm of the opinion when I talk about Four Loco is that, like, obviously the, the whole shtick of these brands is, like, this kind of winking acknowledgement that the idea is to get you as fucked up as possible, and while I'm fine with that, I, I wish they would taste less like garbage, and I wish the marketing would, would stop being so goddamn stupid. Because it's just... Uh, Mm. Well, like Four Loco and stuff are marketed college to kids, like yeah. students, it's three, right? It's three dollars, yeah. college kids. Whereas, <laughs> yeah. Whereas Buckfast is is marketed to towards yes. poverty. Let's say, um, not mm. not not so much the kind of straight alcoholism that gets you to like uh, like high alcohol ciders or anything, but the kind of thing where you're like you're hanging out on the street. You might do some Valium. Yeah. You might stab a guy. Who knows? Um, just you know, make make yeah. your night take a direction. Which is funny because um, all all alcohol marketing is bullshit, as you and I were talking about before we recorded. But just like I, I really do wish that mm. like if you're gonna if you're gonna lean into just fucking like one of the reasons this th- these drinks suck so much ass is the marketing is so goddamn profoundly stupid. I just want to mm. be able to get drunk too. I never had a real four loco. It tasted like ass, man. They all taste like ass. That's the whole point. Three fifty, and you get drunk. Oh uh, yeah, that's true. Right, yeah, moving that on, sounds about right. And I'm gonna get a beer. Good lord. Moving on, right. onward, Christian soldiers. 
which apparently entitles us to caffeinated wine. That's right, now. Oh, come on. Uh, are, you, are you feeling it now, Mr. Krabs? <sighs> are you, art thou feeling it now, Mr. Krabs? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldst thou like to live deliciously, Mr. Krabs? <laughs> All right, so we have to talk about crafty beer. Yeah, I, I felt like I was talking to Liam directly earlier when I saw a picture of him. Now it's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nah, this is unfortunate. Anyway, so crafty beer, right? As like craft beer starts to become like a thing, right? Mm. Liam just definitely left his room right now. Um, yeah, to as, get more for loco. That seems wise. Yeah. So as craft beer, like it left the shed we looked at before. Yes, and into into like actual gentrified brewery properties. Yeah, it became like a a thing now. Yeah. A lot of bigger breweries decided, yeah, we should probably own some of this shit, um, mm. including Anheuser-Busch, which is where we get, like, crafty beer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're gonna, you see a blue moon, you know, this is what we call, not craft beer, but crafty beer, right? Yeah, it has, it has the vibe, but not the ownership structure. Yes. yes. And then this, like... This structure continues into like actual craft beer breweries. Like mm-hmm. we 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 saw the um, uh, Belgian Congo Pale Ale earlier from Devil's <laughs> Backbone. Yeah, they're now owned by Anheuser Busch, mm-hmm. um, and they make a nice Vienna Lager that you can get from Virginia to Pennsylvania. Um, but it's no longer a craft brewery. It's owned by Anheuser Busch. They have some like remote brewing facilities, but like there's, it's not like the creative decisions are left up to the previous brewmaster. But like how hmm. how much they brew is up you, to the you, marketing yeah. team for Anheuser Busch. You, right? you approach the Simpsons gag where uh, Duff Light, mm-hmm. Duff Regular, and uh, Duff Classic are all coming out of the same pipe into three different vats. Yeah, you you have that, and you have you, you have to adapt the recipes for these highly industrialized, um, you know, specialized brewing systems that these breweries have you know, set up, and you have to be like, okay, we're going to use 95% of these to make, I don't know, Budweiser, mm-hmm. and then we're going to have this IPA, I guess, which is on, like, the 25th line, and yeah. we have to adapt the recipe somehow that we can, like, well, do this. Every 25th bottle that comes off the line is going to be the racism IPA. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's the one thing, like, they got rid of the racism IPA. <laughs> that's no longer <laughs> brewed anymore. Uh, um, <laughs> you just know there's, like, an inverse Liam who has, like, a couple of uh, cases of it yes. in a garage. Uh, and it's yeah, just like, uh, I'm not uh, giving these up. The, the, the liberals. Uh, there was a guy who tried to... <laughs> God damn, liberals! The people's Republic. There was a guy who tried to sue uh, Millercore's parent of Blue Moon uh, for, what, like, deceitful marketing or something? Because he believes that like Blue Moon was actually <laughs> it, it contains yeah, no it was actual like, moon. You said it was craft beer, and it's not. And a guy really tried to sue uh, Blue Moon, but like that's, I mean, the confusion's on purpose. Like you're, you know, you're taking all these ideas from craft beer. Mm-hmm. Like there are so, like as an example, there's a. I was at the, oh boy, uh, it's a 
It's a club in Sayreville, New Jersey. Got the Starlight. Starland Ballroom. Starland Ballroom in Sayreville, New Jersey. <laughs> and I was Manifesto there. And they had a Budweiser branded like craft station. But all of those quote craft beers were beers owned by AB and Bev. And I was like, yeah, go fuck yourselves. Like it, you know it's not, I know it's not, like stop fucking doing this. If like why are you so ashamed to market it on its merits? Like mm. Well, we know why, and, and uh, the reason why is that people associate uh, like Anheuser Busch or or Coors or whatever with the kind of like light beer that they mostly produce, which is and I, I say this I say this as someone whose whose blood alcohol mm-hmm. is now elevated because of it this evening. Swill uh, for for hogs for hog people. Um, At least Miller Light is good. I mm. can't say so much for the other two. Light love, to, love to get a Miller Lite. Bud Light putting its goddamn ingredients on the packaging. That is a thing that genuinely does mm-hmm. piss me yeah, off. The, the, yeah. Bud, Bud Light, Bud Light is not deceptive marketing. You you know well, you know was, exactly was a, what you're getting in... when you get a Bud Light. Great. So yes. all of us hate yes. cores. Yes. Great. Good. I was at I was at Landmark Grill at Drexel. The and bar in the gym. I ordered yes. a stout. <laughs> uh, I ordered a stout. One of two stouts on the menu because we're all five. And what did they bring me? A peanut butter stout. Normally, not a big <sighs> deal. Except that my girlfriend is deathly allergic to peanuts. And I mean hmm. seriously, like any amount of exposure, I'm not like I'm not gonna fuck around with that. Yeah, I don't, yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't give a not shit. So like she's good. going to the yes. hospital. Like, and it was kind of like. You know what? Like this is bullshit. And one of the reasons is bullshit is that like half these fucking servers or bartenders don't know what you're putting in the shit, and you're expecting mm-hmm. them to do your job. And it's just fucking insane. Like just label the fucking beers. I'm so tired of breweries like uh, Rogue just being like, I don't, I don't have to tell you the ABV. Just Reinheitsgebot. Yes. The one time German exactitude has done us a favor. Uh, is not there are four ingredients in the beer? Yeah, you will be put for for uh, eins zwei drei vier. Almost. Vier ingredients in the beer. <laughs> eins zwei drei vier. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hops. I don't. I don't remember the rest. Anyway, one of the. That's fine. Uh, uh, yeah, who, who cares? It's like five nine, hours. Nine, so, nine, 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 Tends to be a little anti-union, right? Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Everyone, it's a small business that's starting up, and it's like we're all a family here, you know. <laughs> that thus brace Belden's travails trying to unionize Anchor uh, Steam Anchor Beer was an old um, ass company. Is the other thing like Anchor yeah. has been around for mm-hmm. ages. I'm surprised someone hasn't tried to uh, salt the Yingling Brewery at this point. Yeah, I'm I, one thing I'm curious about. Since we're going to talk about like how uh, brewing and how like craft brewery has been this kind of very white, very male, very gentrifying force uh, 
Um, if anyone has listened this far and knows, since we talked about print media, I'm curious if there were any like prominent black-owned breweries. If that was ever There's a thing. There's at least one that just started up in Philly right now. I don't recall the name offhand, hmm. and they have... I'm thinking, yeah, but I'm thinking more about previously. Like, at, at no point during any of this kind of, like, craft beer, uh, like, uh, revolution, it, it, it seems as if uh, black people were successfully disenfranchised from it much more than, than print media. Yeah, I mean, like, craft brewing is extremely white, is the thing. Like, it's, it's, it's like mm -hmm. two locals, two locals is in, uh, is going to be in Philly. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Because like, what's it? Um, but most of Saint the time was, you get a bunch, you get two white guys with beards. St. Ben's was like, you know, yelling at, was it St. Ben's? Was like yelling about like, oh, the locals are going to the brewery. St. Ben's. I believe it was St. Ben's. And then there's no brewery anymore, so fuck them. Well, yeah. I mean, the landlord kicked <laughs> them out. I mean... I don't know, maybe if people wanted to pay you for the beer, you know, you should have served it to them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I mean, also, it, it, like, incumbent to the to the anti-union thing is it fucking, it sucks to work there. Yeah. Ask Brace, host of True and On, about Anchor, or you can, like, ask me about Brewdog, uh, who uh, fired a dude after he went blind. Oh and, like, he wasn't working, he wasn't working in, like, a brewery setting. He was, like, in the office adjacent to it. He could have done that same job. And they're just like, yeah, no, we're gonna have to let you go, actually. And, I mean, he, he, he soon, I think he eventually got some settlements out of them, probably not enough. But that that's the kind of attitude. That's that's punk to me is to fire an employee when they like develop a oh disability uh, that you're founders, not willing to accommodate. Founders had a black employee who found a noose and I believe the N word written on his locker. And founders did an Jesus. awful lot of work to uh, be like nah, 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 like nah, and it was, mm -hmm. it was absolutely fucking embarrassing. Just goddamn like. Whether or not it's you, whether or not it's one of your employees, like it doesn't fucking matter. Like have the goddamn decency to be like, it'll never fucking happen again. It'll never fucking happen again. We're firing everybody. We're gonna have training and shit. Like, and they and they really did run out the clock on that. It was absolutely fucking disgusting. Mm hmm. Was it? Uh, what's it? Uh, evil genius. They fired someone. I forget. It was they fired for the brewmaster. Yeah. For basically saying Black Lives Matter, yeah, yeah, and people, and people in Philly will defend Evil Genius and be like, "Their beer is good." You're an absolute goddamn moron. Their beer sucks ass. And so do you. No, the beer has always <laughs> sucked ass, and they like the they have like, like, the clever names, but like it's like bad. They're just movie the, references. The, yeah, it's like I I don't know, like it's it's some fucking Will Ferrell bullshit, like every time. Yep. Mm. Oh god. All right. Which leads us to the next slide, which is consolidation in the beer industry. Oh, no, I was going to talk about bad beer, actually. Yes, a lot no. of the beer out there is bad. Yes, it oh, is. Yeah. Do you want a fucking know. pastry stout? I don't. I, I, Jesus uh, Christ. The styles are really... That's one of the things that I think people kind of like aren't honest with themselves about, is this idea mm. that like the default is that, like, well... Like yes, like I would I would say that like your average your average lager made by whatever like craft brewery is probably better than Budweiser. 
But, mm-hmm. like, sure. they make all these styles that are absolutely fucking appalling. And, like, I understand, like, not, not taste for everyone. Whatever. But as an example, Tired Hands, who is just full-on hype machine brewery, people forming lines outside the fucking place, you know, this, that, the third, fucking trading and all that shit. They tried to make a stout called Only Void, and it was fucking horrible. It was <laughs> genuinely horrible. And it was, like... How you're you're supposed to be this like this next generation of like intensely good, very local, so on and so forth breweries that are serious about what they're doing, and you can't even brew a goddamn stout right. Mm-hmm. No, get get your get your novelty beer. It's mm-hmm. it's 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 a chocolate stout, but like it's not chocolate in like the brewing term. It tastes like chocolate, and that means that somebody like you're gonna go to a bar, your girlfriend's gonna order it because it sounds nice. She's gonna drink a third of it, and then they're gonna take the money. And it's it's not sustainable as a business practice, but also it's fucking shitty beer. So sometimes you'll get a chocolate stout that's actually garbage. good. Yeah, I like pastry like shots are universally bad. Right, right, because they're, they're, the point is the sweetness of them. It's like we mm-hmm. have all these fucking things, and oh, it tastes like ice cream, and it gets you drunk. Now, fuck off. Yeah, if you so want to do off, that, I just, just drink mixed drinks. Exactly, exactly. We invented and we perfected a way for you to get drunk while tasting things that weren't alcohol, and it was called vodka. You can mix it with anything, and you will not taste it. You like cake, vodka from you know what's it in? Oh, uh, Christ! The the sickest I've been in my life was uh, drinking absolute raspberry flavored vodka. Um, I finished a, a like one of those kind of like stout bottles of that that they have by myself because nobody else would. I knew I was going to regret it, and I paid for my sins deeply. I, um, I just I hate I also just hate this trend of like we have to add flavors to everything because like, mm-hmm. like and I get and I get I actually get flavored vodka much more than I get. Oh yeah, it's, it's an old else. idea. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, that I'm not. I'm fine with because like yeah, okay, well it's a neutral spirit, but I want it to taste like this thing. This is what I'm going for, and I want it to mm-hmm. do this more like that. But you start getting into like flavored whiskeys or when Fireball got really big, and people mm. are just like, oh, I love Fireball. It's a, it's not even legally whiskey. Because it's below 80 proof, but sure, go off. It's just like, this shit sucks ass. And I think that's a lot of it, is just, all this shit tastes like garbage. All this shit mm-hmm. is just a marketing ploy. I just like, oh, well, it's, you know, hard seltzer, even the hard seltzer, which I just drank, or like the hard sodas. Like, so you don't even want to, like, why don't you just buy vodka? That's what mm-hmm. it's for. This is, you know what my feeling is? My feeling is, is like the booze version of a handbill that I saw pasted to like a wall in London that said, coding is shit, graphic design is shit, all I want is revenge. That's how I feel about yep. almost all alcohol now, is craft beer is shit, uh, production craft beer is shit. Is genuinely shit. I, all, all I want is revenge. Uh, yeah. No, dog shit. Horrible time to consume alcohol. So what have we learned from from all of this, from this uh, three hour, 47 minute? Make the beer your fucking self. Yeah. You'll you'll suck for a a while, 
that'll probably be undrinkable garbage, and then you'll get better. I thought we make Traderbrow, all... make Kelia, make the fucking my summer car ass finish deer piss liquor. Maybe we could uh, all think about the future of beer here at hmm. Ten Forward, where we're exploring the galaxy <laughs> and drinking some beer. <laughs> and yeah, Whoopi Goldberg right. is serving us some beer. And then she's going to have mm-hmm. some really bad political opinions later. Yes. Oh boy. I do respect Whoopi Goldberg's one thing when they asked her if she ever wanted to get married, and she said, I, I don't, don't want, want anyone else in my house. house. Yep. I respect, I respect the hell out of that. That, that sounds uh, great. I like that. I'll, oh, okay. I'll just go fuck myself. <laughs> Imagine the future, and you, you can replicate anything, and what you yeah, choose yeah, to do I'll is that gray carpet. Liam in the replicator Thanks, as opposed Appreciate to having him in the house. I love you, I, I was talking about the carpet in the 10 forward, but like, go off. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was. Look at look at that beautiful uh, bar. Look at that beautiful Alex. future bar. Actually, everything is Liam. Mm. <laughs> Bazinga. Okay. <laughs> All right, are we done? Please, God, let us be done. No, please, please. What is the future of beer? But the future of beer is us ending this goddamn podcast. No, the future <laughs> of beer is probably what that one brewery, uh, that one brewer for that article you never published said, which was that the big boys. And the small boys will continue on because there's always going to be a market for Budweiser. And there's always going to be a, a a market for these hyper local craft beers that don't really produce mm. all that much and maybe packaging crawlers. But where you have to be worried is regional breweries and smaller than that stuff like Yard Victory. You know all those all those like not huge, but uh, that's what you have to worry about. Oh yeah, it's like whatever. Do I have your time? Yeah, my answer, my answer to this is the future of beer is beer is haram uh, because creeping Sharia will will like conquer the West. Um, that you know, uh, Rome and and the lands of the West will be made to submit to Dar al Islam, and uh, nobody's gonna nobody's gonna drink alcohol anymore because it's common. It's it's haram. Oh, okay. um, yeah, uh, sorry about that. Uh, it's unfortunate. Did, did this whole podcast we'll, for nothing? We'll have to do it, you know. Yeah. Well, this will be a historical <sighs> record. Yeah. That's right. Unless yeah. they destroy it. Yeah, it, it it's, it's, in uh, like 500 years time, somebody's going to be like, see, there were Muslims who drank. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, because I'm a piece of shit, and I'm a dumb piece mm-hmm. of shit, and I drink beer. No, the Uzbek Muslims are going to overrun everyone. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's right. <sighs> we've got we got to try to get that like Central Asian Islam, where they're like, "Man, Islam, isn't it great? Let's celebrate with a drink." <laughs> Listen, we're all, we're all gonna when when Sharia overruns the world, we will all celebrate with mm-hmm. a drink. <laughs> that's that's exactly right. Mm. Oh my god! Well. Allahu Akbar, everyone. Allahu Akbar. (laughs) 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 Bye. It's over. over, We're done. We made it. We we made it. We made it. We made it.